Hey, what's up, everybody? This week's episode is going to feature Miskatonic Brewing over in Darien. Um, before I get to that, I just wanted to talk real quick about um, a little brewery that's uh, kind of starting up here, and they are called Woggly Square. It's a beer with a purpose. Uh, this guy, John Newton, I just uh, reached out to him recently, and we're going to sit down for a podcast soon, but they have an event coming up February 18th, which is this Sunday um, at 350 Brewing. If you're familiar with 350 Brewing over in Tinley Park, uh, they are pretty awesome, and they have great food, and they're kind of helping out hosting this event for uh, John and his his brewery, Woggly Square. Um, they, all the money, uh, percentages of the money in the bottle sales of their Northeast-style IPA, Peace of Mind, they're all going to go to um, autism research, so it's something that's personally affected uh, John himself and something that he wants to kind of tie in with his brewing. Uh, right now he's just brewing this out of 350. They've been really accommodating as far as he said. Uh, so go check it out on Sunday, February 18th, when the doors open uh, at noon over at uh, 350 Brewing. And if you know 350, you know they got great food. They have their own great beer. But get over there and pick up a 70, uh, 750 milliliter bottle of their Peace of Mind Northeast Style IPA. Clocks in at 6.5%. Again, it goes to a good cause. Uh, I talked to the dude on the phone. He's an awesome guy. He's got a great vision for this. I hope it I hope it uh, just starts kicking butt, but I'll have him on the podcast soon. And now to transition to our latest episode here of Miskatonic. Uh, I went out to Darien and talked to Josh Mowry, one of the co-founders. Dude was awesome. He was so much fun to sit down and talk to, just the two of us on a closed Monday night in that nice tap room there. We... Uh, poured a couple beers and we we just talked we just talked about the industry and and how he got into it and everything he loves about it their style we talked about gypsy brewers hot butcher being in their house um but yeah give it a listen great conversation great dude really intelligent What's up? Another episode of Average Joe's Above Average Beer Podcast. And I'm sitting in a very empty but very beautiful Miskatonic tap room. And I am joined by Mr. Josh Mowry. Josh, say hello. Hello. It's Mowry, right? It is Mowry. Right? You, okay. you pronounce it, you are yes. one in ten. Yes. It's usually Mowry. <laughs> really? You can oh, yeah. Out, for real? And Mowry. I have to spell it if I say Mowry because I think I said Mallory. But. Josh Mow- Mowry. Yeah, so it's Monday and you're closed. We you're are closed. closed on Monday, kind of much like a lot normal. of the, the, yeah, a lot of the smaller guys. No, we um we're still a four and a half man team, um and uh, it definitely you know you can make a lot of beer with four and a half people, but uh, it does equal to us wanting to have a day where we can sort of reset, uh, maybe put our things that could go long on production on Mondays, since we have a very sort of open to the public space. No doubt. Um, we don't want anything like super loud going on on Mon- on Tuesday through Friday. So Monday is our late nighter. So okay, you, you said you had a four man team right now. Mm-hmm. Break break down that roster for me. Who's who's here? Who's doing what? So myself and um, John Wiskevich is we're, we're the two co founders. We've been here since day one on the production side. Um, John uh, John's been in the industry for almost twenty years. He's got way more teeth cut on it than me. Uh, I was, uh, I spent about five years in the industry before we opened. I was, uh, started at the bottom taping boxes together at two brothers. And, uh, when I left there, I was ahead of canning. And so he did a lot of, uh, brewing and cellar work. I did a lot of packaging brewer work. So between the two of us, we figured we could at least get it going on our own. And, uh, we've 
had a guy who started as our tapper manager from day one, and then he's grown into four days a week in production, and he's our assistant brewer. His name's AJ. Uh, he's pretty much the glue that ties it all together for sure. And then we have uh, TJ who came on last year. Wait, you have an AJ and a TJ? Yes, Jeez. AJ and a TJ, Josh and oh Johnny. Uh, but uh, TJ is our uh, our sort of sales rep, does some tapper manager stuff, um, and he's essentially – he came on so that uh, that I, I stopped killing myself in hours. So <laughs> he's been effort. great. He, he does a much better job. He's way more personable than I am. So <laughs> <You're> the, <laughs> I think you've been very cordial so far. That's only because the bar is set so low in our industry. Okay. Like we're all a bunch of trolls working in our cave on day one, <laughs> antisocial and scared of people. Yeah. Um, Do you guys just like super peek out from the back every once in a while? Yeah. You know, we feel like a zoo animal every once in a while if it's open hours and you're still working back there. Yeah. But and you just said very opinionated. Like that one time you decide that you're going to talk is the time where you're like hitting your opinion hard and everybody's like, ooh. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> he really believes that. Exactly. Now we ask 10 brewers a question, you get 12 answers always. <laughs> so the space this is my first time in the space, just uh, full disclosure, and it's an awesome space. And Thank you. Tell me a little bit about your, uh, after we, we walked around a little bit beforehand and I saw your, your system. Tell us a little bit about the uh, brew house and the system. Well, we, we wanted to start with a system that allowed us to, uh, you know, be at a scale that with two guys being the only two on production, we could manage it without, you know, um, killing ourselves with work but also be small enough that we could make uh, frequent changes and variations and different seasonality. Um, you know, we wanted to sort of make anywhere between 25 and 50 beers our first year. Uh, you know, that's, that's, goals. yeah, the, nice. you know, the whole reason we're craft brewers and not um, working for Anheuser Busch is not the pay. I mean, those guys make great pay and they're brilliant people. They're some of the most talented brewers out there, but uh, you know, we were drawn to craft because of um, variation and creativity and, sort of wanting to make projects happen. So it's a size that allows us to do projects and also um, embrace that technician aspect where we're making consistent beer. Now, when you guys opened your doors, um, got your licensing, all that stuff, you went through that. Um, did you open with this space, with this size? I mean, what, what's We've been... doubled our square footage for the whole facility. Um, tap room stayed the same size uh, and um, tanks have doubled. Uh, in terms of number of tanks, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we everything you can see when you come into the tap room on the the outer tap room side where you have the bar and you can see the brew house over the bar, that was there since day one. Okay. Um, we have four more tanks now than we did when we opened. We got those when we started canning. And, so you uh, guys we were next door like too. a seven seven barrel brew house right off the bat then. Fifteen or, barrel. Where you guys at? Barrel. Oh, you were right yeah. off the bat. Oh, okay. Right off the bat, fifteen. And it was just straight house. production, just. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, you we've always have wanted to have open, about 90. No, Taproom opened uh, open the, tap room open the week that we sent oh. uh, kegs to Windy City, our distributor, as well. So uh, we hit distribution and opened our Taproom same week, July of 2015. Uh, but definitely enjoyed moving next door once we got the canning line and expanded a little more space. We weren't quite on top of ourselves. I mean, our barrel program our first year was pretty pathetic because we had half the space. So we had, I think, eight barrels. And now we have almost 60. So... Uh, you know, it allows us to do a lot more single barrel projects. Um, we just turned the barrel cellar into a private event space part time. Um, we just realized, you know, you got all this beautiful sort of environment from the barrels themselves and they don't get to be moved too often. So uh, we wound up being able to make it work as both an everyday production space and also uh, nighttime or weekend time private event space. And then stacks of uh can pallets of cans yes just can storage is with goodness huge when you have any kind of printed cans we do printed cans for our year-rounders so 
Um, the minimum order on that is half a truckload. It is not a small amount, so we need that space as well. So what I just walked through and what we toured before we sat down, that doesn't just happen overnight. So what, where did it all come from? What what made you and, and I mean, co-founders I think say, like, hey, uh, let's open a brewery. That'd be cool. <laughs> like, no, I mean, honestly, the, we got started as brewers happy to work at a different at a place uh, making somebody else's recipes and learning of the craft and we just sort of John and I both had talked to each other through our time at two different breweries lots of ideas on what we would love to do someday with our beers or um, if we were make you know key decision makers maybe not even necessarily running our own place but um, you know the market got into a place where we felt like the the eat like the best barrier to entries have been taken down let's let's do this now or never kind of thing um, I decided in my grand wisdom to do it, you know, right at the same time I was starting a family. But, yeah. uh, I think honestly that Super can actually, good planning. you know what? I think it actually builds on itself nicely. I mean, my daughter was born three months before we opened our doors here. I don't remember 2015. I was on a lot of caffeine. I was just about to ask you like, what date was it? What time frame was that? Uh, when well, she was born in opened. April, 2015. We opened in t- July of 2015. We started build out in December of 2014. So it was just under eight months. Uh, which is a pretty reasonable, moderate amount of time for a build-out. Um, I've heard way but, worse timelines. Oh, man, it, it can be bad if, if, if things don't fall in a row. So we tried our best to line all the pins up, um, you know, with, with me just having started my family, and then John's got a family of his own. He's got twins. Uh, you know, we needed to make sure that everything was on a timeline that worked. John's got twins, too. John's got twins. AJ's cool. got twins. Oh. I am the Wait, only one. I'm the only full timer at the brewery with children who doesn't have twins. So no way. Yeah, that's it's, crazy. Yeah, what are you putting in the water? It helps give me perspective. You know, I, like when I have a rough so day with my easier. toddler uh, on the weekend, I come back on Monday and it, it definitely reminds me. Just shut your mouth. You're like, I'm not even. Gonna yeah, add. no, I can't really. Like if they're complaining, you have to shut up. You can't yeah, do anything. Always perspective. That's yeah, right. You know what? I totally agree with you on that. Something not a lot of people understand. Perspective. Just have a little bit of it. That's all. Yeah. So, but, but we had, uh, you know, it was a good time in my life to do this as well because you go out on a limb when you have a family. You go out on a limb on a lot of those things. And uh, rolling it and bundling it together, it helps make it all sort of more easily digestible, in my opinion. Yeah. I have two small children, five and seven. And oh, then nice. my wife's sister well they have two small boys and then decided to add twin girls to it just recently so now they have four perspective yes so I absolutely can, i get to go over and this one's a much harder child than uh than my child so. yeah <laughs> but so you got your four-man crew you you got open in 2015 you said mm-hmm. um right. it was summer 2015 yep. somewhere around there okay so like hottest week of the year like <laughs> super easy everything went like getting your licensing and paperwork i mean, I mean what kind of uh, stuff went you know this? we were still feeling the effect of the government shutdown uh i know that was well after the government shutdown and i think it was the end of 2013 but it so it screwed the ttb hard in terms of they had so many applications piling up that they it took them well over a year for those re- who don't speak beer, that. that's the Tax and Trade Bureau. That's uh, yeah. The, uh, so the ATF was the I end all be all. Asked for me, it used to no. be, and then when they split it into Homeland Security, they also made the TTB, and the TTB was kind of where the bean counters went, and the uh, uh, Homeland Security was where the guys with submachine guns went. So, oh, uh, the TTB handles all of that uh, ATF stuff that has to do with like excise taxes and all that. But they're the ones that hand out the brewers' licenses at the federal level. 
uh, the Illinois Liquor Control Commission hands out the state level. I mean, yeah, you're going to see some frustrating moments where things don't come in at the right speed or whatnot. Our, our license came after, for instance, Alters and Downers Grove, and those guys applied in there. after us. Um, and so, you know, things like that happen. But I would say that eight months was not an unreasonable amount of time, given what we were hoping for and expecting. Yeah. But what about... Um Sorry, I'm just totally blanked out. I wanted you to bring your mic closer to your face, but gotcha. <laughs> so, licensing and all that stuff was was kind of a headache. But but when was like the the idea baby born? Like when was like you know, oh, you said, I mean, you said you kind of started build I, out in I 2014, think, but I, I think that everyone sort of I think that comes in bits and pieces through a very long time. I mean i I always loved working with my hands before I was a brewer, even. Um, I, for a short time, uh, looked into maybe becoming a cook, uh, working in the hospitality side of things because I love to think about like what I'm eating or drinking. And I mean, all that sort of piles on slowly over life. But, uh, I would say the moment where the, the idea was born of like, I'm going to start my own place someday had to have been while I was at two brothers, just, uh, starting to feel more confident in what I was doing. I had finished school. Um, and it really came just from the fact that there's a lot of freedom in your creativity when you go off on your own. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of illusion of control there too, because the marketplace has its own rules as well, but, um, you know, you can't make English milds all day long and still keep the lights on, but I don't know what you mean. I feel like you could do that. <laughs> you made a really good English I don't mild. think I'd want to make English miles all day long. Would it be a hazy yeah. English mild? That's right. Or? As long <laughs> as it had some sort of, uh, as long as it had some, just add haze. flour. No, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that that slowly builds up in a person and eventually they just get to the point where, uh, You're like, we can do this. Yeah. Huh? They feel foolish enough that sure. Why not? Let's take the next step. So how do you start? How do you start that process? Is it just oh, man, you, it's, you uh, and John? John is yeah. It? Uh, John and myself. Uh, and we, we were really lucky. I mean, it, to be honest, John started off just helping me, um, sort of develop my business plan and, um, was a consultant almost, um, just a close confidant. And after more going back and forth and getting excited about things, it became more of a partnership for sure. So you kind of saw what you were doing. Like, wait a minute, this shit might work. I know there was a point at which I was like, you know, you probably should just come on as our head brewer. I mean, yeah, no why not? But, uh, you know, this is a very open, um, welcoming industry. And so, uh, I got a lot of help from other breweries sharing business plan stuff and giving me, rough ideas and numbers of what they faced and some, you know, advice. I mean, um, Dave, uh, Blightner over at off color, uh, shared with me his entire, like sort of pro forma financial part of their business plan. Uh, that was based off of, uh, Metropolitans and, that's great. uh, it's like John, one based off the other. Based yeah. Off right. The other. Yeah. That's, that's so great. John Barley, uh, from Solemn Oath gave me a lot of input or help with questions I might have. Um, Eric hops, formerly of Penrose who's now at Solemn Oath. I mean, Eric is, he is the, uh, most intelligent, sharp mind in our industry that I've bounced ideas off, especially when it comes to sort of getting that across as someone who's, I'm a brewer. I'm not someone who immediately thinks first how that goes through the barrier to the people drinking it across the bar. Uh, and Eric was great about, um, you know, giving me ideas and, and helping anytime I had a question, you know, Eric has a lot of time in the industry and, you know, now he's over at Solomoth and he's kicking ass there too. So, uh, it's a great group of people. I mean, you know, and we all still, you know, we all still bounce back and forth through emails with each other. Um, I've tried to pay it forward anytime somebody's opening up in the area or has questions too. 
That's a very common thread I'm getting off of. Uh, oh, I'm sure you're going to hear it from every single person. It's amazing. Because we all feel. And if you could put me in contact you know. with Eric, that would really be cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's something that I'm really starting to see a very uh, strong theme for is people helping people kind of thing, I guess yep. you want to say. But it's Well, incredible. you know, we, we all, this is not an industry that has just an instruction manual. It is one of the most you guys constant shifting I mean, industries. Um, you often have people going into it who may not have fired up a commercial boiler for the first time until they have their own place. So we constantly sort of need to feel each other out and help each other out. And I, I think it just helps strengthen the whole community. So well, that might be a decent little segue. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Gypsy Brewers and, and yeah, who you've no. got in house. I mean, uh, no, um, yeah, we've got Hot Butcher in house these days as Gypsy Brewers here. Many people have heard of them. I mean, yeah, yeah they're they're uh, one of them, uh, Jeremiah. He lives in Darien, um, and I just had I literally read it in Crane's business that uh, with the Aquanaut fallout, they were at Aquanaut as Gypsy Brewers and. Aquanaut wasn't paying their bills, and you and know they the were what? What were they? South Loop brewing for a while. South Loop while before there? they became Hot okay. Butcher, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, Hot Butcher was rocking and rolling at the Aquanaut facilities. They were going through a lot of production of beer, and um, you know, paying their bills. And unbeknownst to them, the uh, host brewery wasn't paying their bills. And uh, I just, you know, essentially, I got the full story of um, I forget where I read it or confirmed it with someone after reading the the part I knew about it in Cranes and something about, you know, Aquanaut being shut down because they weren't paying their bills. And I was like, I know there's a few breweries brewing out of there. And if the TTB doesn't have a new place for you to call home quickly, like you are not going to be, you have to start from the beginning. And that's a whole nother like eight month process. So I knew what kind of barrel of what gun they were staring down in terms of the process of, of getting all that back in. And so I uh, was able to reach out, I'm trying to remember, I reached out through a mutual um, contact because I'd never talked to Jeremiah or Jude at Hot Butcher and got Jeremiah's email, sent him an email saying, hey man, I just heard everything that happened. That is insane. I cannot imagine like what, dealing with that. So if you guys need to jump onto a tank or two here, short term, um, you know, we can totally figure something out. Uh, at the time we had eight tanks that we were, they were all full, but you will often be single filling a tank that could essentially all of our tanks are twice the size of our brew house. So you can essentially run a 15 barrel batch twice into a 30 barrel tank and be producing twice as much beer. Sometimes you're going to be only doing it half. If you're trying to uh, a do something that's a small project or B uh, you're trying to make sure that you're as down and low inventory and fresh as possible coming out of there. If, if you want to make sure you control the velocity. So we just were like, we'll double up more often and you guys can get it figured out. And, um, I don't know if you're looking for a forever home or whatever, but uh, they wound up jumping on, and it's been a great relationship so far. Uh, and uh, they'll be they'll be here for for definitely in the sort of short near term, mid term. So for for your bottle shop junkie, your average craft beer seeker and hunter, like. What does that mean? What what what's that relationship like with another brewery where you're kind of like dancing around? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean like it's schedules, pr- production's like tough. Even for a single brewery, you've got a lot of things that are. It's an organic process. It's a living thing that's fermenting that beer. So you you deal with what you can on like having to reschedule things on your own, and then you add another brewery into the mix. And that's um, definitely something where you got to learn the ebb and flow with each other. Um, luckily I'm really type a and like to have things scheduled out. So that's helped at least minimize that. But, um, the best part is you get a different energy in house. I mean, we make very, uh, 
very different philosophically minded beers than than they do necessarily i mean they they have embraced uh the hazy ipa craze they're they're making um some uh they make a bigger stout uh they're really focused on some really intense and crazy flavors out there uh we definitely stick to a lot more sort of traditional um styles and then we may tilt them a little bit um you know like our our release right now is an irish dry stout called the craven it's uh infused with a little bit of lemon peel so i mean it's a very to style dry stout and then we just give it a little tilt i'm not uh, gonna so let him have to say it but i just had it and it was delicious oh thanks go man. on go no on. It, it's it's a really fun beer um and we like to do that like there's just a different way to look at some certain really traditional styles but still stick to the traditional style as much as you can and that's a very different way of brewing than what uh, jude and jeremiah do so it's been awesome sort of learning from each other or just dealing with the ch- fact you have different energies where john and i have been in the industry for a while um, we've come from much larger facilities. Um, Jude and Jeremiah have scaled up from being homebrewers. So, um, it's, they're like, they're super excitable. Um, they're always enthusiastic. It's super, um, and enjoyable to have them around. Uh, and then we sort of feed off ideas off each other. Um, they're using very different yeasts. So I love to see other yeasts in use at 30 barrel scale or 15 barrel scale. Like a um, learn from another you, you yeah you're like, literally just you're sitting one lab on top of another and you learn things so yeah i mean that, that's got to be a unique relationship i mean that kind of also transitions us what did you guys do today what was going on here today? oh today was uh that today was definitely an odd day is uh, our colla- <laughs> collaboration day with um we're doing a three-way collaboration and doing two different beers with hot butcher and salmoth out of Naperville. Three breweries, two beers, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, and they're all based around uh, a, a specifically a single tree that's grown in the western suburbs. Um, there was what? a, there was an oak tree that was almost a couple hundred years old, I believe. Um, maybe 150 years old, don't quote me. But a, a very old tree. I mean, like, literally, I think there's a reco- uh, recording somewhere of a wedding taking place at the foot of this tree in the 1800s. Uh, it was just off Hobson Avenue uh, that runs between sort of Naperville, all the way up until 355, where it turns into 63rd Street. But it was this old, it super gnarly looking. I mean, this thing looked like a tree out of a um, Tim Burton movie. I mean, it was super twisted and gnarled. And it was a little bit of a landmark. Uh, last year, they discovered it was dying. I, I forget if it was something that was necessarily at the root or something like that, but it was definitely going to be coming down and rotting. Instead, they cut it down, and they have furniture makers making furniture out of it. Well, Jeremiah had got wind of that, had taken his kids to it when it was getting cut down and decided to reach out and see if he could get some wood from there. Um, And then he saw on my social media that I had taken my daughter there for the same reason. So he just shot me a text and was like, hey, man, was that the hops and oak that you took your daughter to? I was like, yeah. This is after you guys had already been brewing. We had already. Yeah, I can't can't remember if we were just talking about them coming in or if they had already come in. But essentially, the the relationship at that point was pretty solidified. Um, We just independently of each other had taken our kids to this tree. Uh, And he said, well, would you be interested in? maybe doing something together. Um, and then also this is for Morton Arboretum. It's a not-for-profit thing we're doing. Some, some proceeds of the beer are going to go towards uh, essentially raising money for Morton Arboretum uh, in the same way as with all the furniture that's being made. But uh, it's also uh, Naperville organizations are involved. So Salmoth was involved as well. So we decided the three of us would do two different beers, one at Salmoth, one here. Um, Salmoth is going to go in barrels for a time, and we're releasing a more fresh uh, hoppy beer. Yeah, and you're... Aged on the oak. See, you just said... 
in barrels and everybody just got little boners and everybody, you know, and like barrel, barrel age. Yeah. What? what? Easy, and what easy enough too with, with some oakiness too. And it's a really cool oak. It's a very different oak than, you know, like American, French or Hungarian oak that you see for, off of actual well, barrel staves. So did I miss what you were saying? What, what, what did you do? What, what kind of wood or what did you so obtain? Today they, so like, we had them, uh, they had them, we had them dry and cure the uh, wood and chip it. Okay. Uh, so we have chips of it. Um, with with us trying to release a beer fresher, we want something with a lot of surface area. Chips are really good for that. So we're going to be doing a fresh release uh, hazy pale ale uh, that's using uh, a couple of hops. Um, Citra, everybody knows, obviously. But there's mm. also um, another hop that's just a number designation. It's known for having a little bit of vanilla tones to it. So we thought that would play really well with the oak. That'll be interesting. Um, yeah. So it's going to be a hazy pale ale um, infused with this these oak chips. And then so kind of like like a like a home brewer would do, getting uh, cubes of oak or something. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The way a home brewer will not want to have like or can't fill a fifty-nine gallon barrel or yeah. or whatnot. Um, Some oak spirals. Sit it forever. Yeah, uh-huh. spiral style kind of. Um, and then uh, Solomoth made an imperial milk stout while we were there last week, um, and it's going to go once it's fermented. It's going to go in long-term storage in barrels and. Uh, I think bourbon barrels, if I remember correctly. Of course, why wouldn't it be bourbon barrels? Yeah, you know, everybody loves bourbon barrels. So, what's that like when when you have uh, three breweries in, in the kitchen? I mean, <laughs> what, 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 like, yeah, like well, naturally you're gonna have lead? you're gonna like, have a little bit of a struggle. We tried to keep it to who designed the recipe, having the, the main design of the okay. recipe. So, you know, uh, we we all agreed on sort of what the two styles should be. Whoever was brewing at their place was kind of the ones to take the reins on the sty- uh, the beer itself. Shot off the recipe with all of us giving thumbs up. I mean, we have brewers at hand here that we are all pretty comfortable with, with the recipe formulation side of things. So I, I don't think we had anybody sort of like, Oh, I don't know about not that. I'm comfortable mom. with that. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, hot butcher had the label design for tall boys for this pale ale and it looks beautiful. They um, do. Dan they do Jets, some uh, great. Oh, they do it's, some, they, I don't know where they yeah. get it, who makes it for them or if they make it themselves, but that the, the labels are amazing on their, on their beers usually. Yeah, the scratchboard style is really nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you got all three guys in the kitchen there, and you're you're dealing with you're dealing with this recipe. You're all brewing it, and then you're then you're waiting to see the f- the final product. Uh, you guys kind of like you were you touched on a little bit. You kind of side more with uh, almost like a classic look at the beer versus that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not that we're, I I'm I. It's funny because um, if you looked at my fridge, you wouldn't think that I brew the beer I brew. Um, and actually, I, I've realized that with, um, like, I was talking to Garrett from Pipeworks at one time in a meeting somewhere, and you know, he was he he was like, "Hey, man, I love your guys' beer. It's it's awesome." And I was like, "I love your beer." And it's funny because I mean, Pipeworks is again very bold, brash, um, go in different places with things, and then we make very sort of quiet, um, very stylistic sort of representations. Um, but that's the thing about brewers. I mean, we all at the end of the day, it's all a bunch of ideas you want to explore. Yeah, you um, don't just drink the one. Just drink the ones you like. Yeah, you there's too many. Th- like there's the too many styles brew. to make them all. So, maybe you sit and stay with the project that you want to do, or sort of sit in the vector that you have the most fun with. Um, I think there's a really cool. I think that making very innovative, bold, brash, uh, intense beers is extremely um, difficult and requires some discipline to do really well. And I think that making really quiet beers really well has uh, discipline and is difficult to do. So I, I don't think that there's any one way or the other to push yourself as a brewer creatively. When you um, guys started the collab, were you kind of like, 
Oh, I don't want to be the one doing the hazy IPA. Like, <laughs> like, no, no. Can, I, can I we think do the that, milk stout or? No? I mean, John might disagree with me. We, you know, you'll never even in the same organization have brewers all agreeing on things, and that's yeah. on, honestly often um, you know, our assistant brewer AJ, and then we have an assistant brewer part time. His name is Zach, and John and I, all four of us, you sit us in a room. We're not going to agree on everything, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I definitely there's there is some humbling moments when i've had really good any ipas because i did used to for lack of a better term used to shit on that style i used to yeah. really think that that style wasn't something worth my time that. i've seen it from a lot because, of people because um, and it, well and some people still do it and i mean i hope i was a little quieter about it because you should have some humility and even if you think you're right you're not always right but i i had never had one that really made me look at a perspective where it was a real truly different style okay um and then i finally had one from trillium that uh-huh. I, I it turned me on my head. It was it was a completely different thing. It had a beginning and a middle and an end, unlike any other style I had had. There were layers to it. It was nuanced, even if it was bold and brash. Um, and that was sort of the moment where I changed my mind about the style. And it's good to it happen was? that way too. Um, yes, it was a double dry hop to Congress Street. Okay, so and were, it was uh, only like two weeks old, were you which out made me there? go, "Well, it was two weeks old." No, I had, I was at an event where someone had just gotten back from Boston with some. Um, and again, as brewers like tend to share, he shared some of it with me. And then I was like, "Well, okay, it was great. It was awesome. It was two weeks old. There are a lot of really great hoppy beers at two weeks old that turn into garbage a month or two later." Then I eventually had a almost three month old Trillium. And it was also phenomenal, diminished for sure, uh, the way anything is. Um, but because right, you can taste through that as a brewer and a guy that you know, you said you said earlier about the, you like importance of tasting your food and like knowing what goes into like something yeah you're yeah. I mean, we, chewing your malt. Uh, if you got a new malt and you're not sure what it's going to do, chewing it's not going to tell you exactly what it's going to do to the beer, but chewing it does give you an idea um, to sort of pr- think about it. So. Um, it is like with cooks being able to sort of taste a sauce and tell you the ingredients in it, um, honing your palate kind of thing. Uh, but once I had those and, and realized it was really a thing, I started to pay more attention to some of the beers being made in the area. And it was just that I caught five or six. The other thing is the, it's a very new style. There's a lot of brewers going out there, getting on a limb and maybe not, maybe falling down on it. And I just had had a few really mediocre versions of the style. I think I'd gone through five and at five, I wrote off the style. I should probably when I kept looking who those were. I, I would never publicly one, say it. Either, how about though. the local ones yeah, that you really right? love? <laughs> how about the local ones that you were like, damn, this is no, I, I mean, I, I will say that all, all I'll say is that there aren't many breweries at this point now where I've had three or four any IPAs from them and been like these are all garbage like I, I have some everyone everyone I've had pretty much has at least made a, a decent version of it but there are again the other thing too is everyone has a very different opinion on it I cannot stand the orange juice sweet finish but yeah. there are guys making pretty decent style uh, any IPA style beers that are chewy and big um, great mouthfeel and they finish on the drier side. Um, and it's just, it's not that it's very sweet. It's that it's not so bitter on the front that it can still be slightly dry and still have that nice round feel. I'm kind of thinking about Craniac so, right now. Speaking but, of hot butcher um, being in house. Yeah. If I was going to nice be talking dry. about hot butcher, I think, I think that, that um, nice I really dry. liked mirror ball. Um, yeah, Craniac awesome. had a very dry Craniac finish nice to it from the Blanc. Hollertal yeah, Blanc's a really great hop if you're trying to get a dry finish. Almost. Venice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Dun 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 was great. Well, Dun 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 um, was so. like a, like that was the one of those ones I yeah. think that everybody wishes there was more of it floating <laughs> around as like you know especially craze wise because yeah. it just hit all the right notes. But I I get what you're saying. Like sometimes you kind of crave that little bite at the end or something. Mm-hmm. You know it, it, you don't want just 
juice. Yeah, no, I, I, I know it's part of the style. I get that. It's part of like you know the the low IBU and all that. But yeah. but yeah, I think you're starting to see some better variations of it now. You know, around the area. Yeah, I, I mean, think everyone's tightening up their game, and that happens. So, yeah. and everybody's a little different. Like, I think Noon Whistle's take on it is different than Hailstorm's take on it. That's different mm-hmm. from you know Hot Butcher's take on it. That's it's it's a good style. It's just yeah, like you said, you don't just shit on it because you want to shit on it. No, you don't believe in that style. But and I know. think it, I think there's also quite a few out there that I would say these aren't any IPAs, but they're really great IPAs. So there's been quite a few of those where I kind of wrote them off because I was like, this isn't in any IPA in my like opinion. ones that are labeled it. Like yeah, they're, they're, it, they're okay. labeled in yeah. any IPA, but I'll be like, this yeah, is just yeah, a really fantastic a oat IPA. IPA. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just uh, just not what I would label as that style. All right, since we're talking about styles and stuff, let's let's make this more about Miskatonic. Cause Miskatonic <laughs> like, it, talking it, about the style that we've never done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but I, I like the way you described it, like when you said uh, it kind of like a more classical look on in th- these, these uh, more styles like that you guys do. The artwork, the artwork that you guys <laughs> attach to it, like it has that, like you know, sometimes I see that the the one sign and I say like, oh my god, it's like Mary Poppins with octopus coming out of the back of her, you know? Like yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. So like, where did all this come from? I mean, it's got this like old world, like Jack the <laughs> uh, Ripper era feel so to it. There's or there's no way this isn't gonna come off pretentious and trying Please to be really inside baseball. <laughs> um, no, there the name is uh, Miskatonic's the name. Uh, it's pulled from a bunch of short stories by an author that's been dead for almost a hundred years. Um, and I promise we weren't trying to be super uh, obscure. It wasn't that, um, his name was HP Lovecraft. Uh, he's a familiar name to anybody who's a really big fan of, um, horror literature. Um, he's also a name that every author alive, horror or not, I mean, any type of literary author (laughs) would know the name, um, because maybe they wouldn't have been touched by him, but they certainly are, uh, influenced by people that were influenced by him. Uh, he's the kind of guy that he really bridged the gap from, let's say, Edgar Allan Poe to like modern horror. Okay. Um, he yeah. was writing around the There's 1910s. There's got to be somebody the between that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, and it wasn't because I mean I'm a huge fan of his. I'm a huge fan of that style of writing. I love, uh, you know, that genre. But it wasn't because of that. It was really because he is considered such an influential author on pretty much all modern American literature after that in terms of when you're writing about anything strange or weird or scary. Um, He was so influential, but here we are 100 years later and most people have no idea who he is. Um, But they love things that he had a huge hand in. Um, Ghostbusters is pretty much based off the ideas that he did just on a comedic level. Um, Alien uh, the alien was sort of designed off of the type of visuals. Uh, the uh, uh, artist H.R. Geiger, who specifically designed the alien, he based a lot of that off of his readings from Lovecraft. So here's a guy who has a lot of hand in pop culture, has a lot of hand in authors uh, to come after him, but has sort of faded away in his direct work, but his influence is going to echo for a long time. That's exactly how I view most anything that's sort of a craft. I mean, the people you work under, the people you work with, the people you learn from, that shapes who you are. I mean, when we make a beer, 98% of that beer existed before we had our hands on it. We just took it the next step. Your um, variations our, were Yeah, like our variations after other people's compared variations. Compared to the whole picture. Yeah, and I think it's really important for perspective for anybody who does anything like um, artistic to remember that you're just one more sort of link in the chain. Um, I help. I think that helps keep you from ego, and I think ego is a huge problem in most artistry, let alone um, our industry. Um, but that was just a fun place to pull from. Uh, the other thing he loved to write about was 
things that seemed normal at first and then got really weird, um, got tilted. It's kind of what I feel like when I look at head. some of your cans. Like It's like you see the normal in it, and then all of a sudden, once you like further examine it, you kind of start to see the oddity. And that's where the logo, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely comes from. We wanted it to start normal, and then it just takes a huge tilt all of a sudden. And the best is when someone's in the tap room who isn't super familiar with our stuff yet, and they'll be sitting for 20 minutes, and they saw the woman, saw the silhouette, did not connect with the tentacle thing and then about 20 minutes later they'll turn cock their head to the side and i was like you just saw it you know that may or may burn. not have so, happened in your parking lot about yeah. an hour ago when yeah. i pulled in i was like shit i've seen this can a thousand times and yeah. i've never really put that together and then i'm looking at the graffiti behind behind you here and you see the tentacles all over the wall and i'm thinking i missed the whole thing i missed the whole thing <laughs> yeah pretty, no it's uh awesome. the the slow burn is fun so yeah. uh we kind of designed our logo around that I like that term, the slow burn. Yeah, that, yeah. that totally makes sense. I mean, and it kind of transfers into some of the other beers too. I mean, like what I see Epilogue, Shield Maiden, like what some of the other names, like are those all kind of almost thematical? Yeah, I mean, literary terms tend to be what we use. Um, we definitely, most of our beers, almost all of them actually, are names of universal types of characters you'd find in a story. Because I do love, I love, I do love the idea of styles having personality. And, um, we want to sort of find the name of the type of character you might see weaving in and out of different stories with that personality. So Shield Maiden is just a strong female character. You find them in lots of stories. Uh, and so we wanted our, our pale ale that had some some actual backbone to it, but had a real sort of grace to it also to be be named something along those lines. Um, Wise Fool is a really classic one, and that's Wise why it's our year-round yeah. IPA. Um, but... Um, that, yeah, every uh, most of ours, uh, prologue and epilogue, are actually the only two we've wide released that have broken that rule, but they're still literary. And that's right, because, actually, I'm sorry, prologue and epilogue yeah. because of chapter IPAs. So Wise Fool's a very balanced IPA. We wanted it to be um, nuanced, and then we want to still be bold and brash and have fun in the playground. So we released these one-off IPAs called the Chapter Series, where it's chapter one, two, three, four. Excuse me. And uh, we're all the way up to chapter eight now. And so we wanted the, those, in, the, the Imperial IPAs to be the bookends, so prologue and epilogue. Oh, okay, so what are the chapters in between? What are, what, are, what kind of um, you what know kind it, of variations it, are you doing? Everything with these? can vary. Um, the first one, chapter one, had to do with the hot blend we were using, um, and then the second chapter, that was because there was a new malt from Wireman Malt that was completely new. That it was a red malt that could be used as a base malt, which is not a common thing. So we made a hundred percent. Way over my head, but that's uh, so red. Red malts tend to have like a real. I mean, if anyone's ever had like an Irish red um, yeah. or a red IPA, it's got a certain sweetness to it, a certain maltiness to it. And generally, when you use a malt that gives you that flavor, it can't be used at what's called a base malt, which is the malt where you draw most of your sugar from for so fermentation. So that's like your your part when you're mashing. At yeah, whatever, when you when you do the entire malt bill you might see like 800 pounds of just base malt which is just two row it's like standard malt to get some sugar out of maybe a little flavor but the flavors come from like the small percentages of really specialty malt. little variant special malt yeah this was almost a specialty malt that you can use a lot of home brewers that listen so they'll they'll like that yeah yeah it's called red x to be completely honest it was a very popular ipa when we released it i didn't really like it because i did not get any of the we didn't get any of the malt character that we were sort of described to when we read the breakdown of what it would come out with. It wasn't a bad beer, but it was a completely different beer than what we were shooting for. And we did that one with like Chinook hops, a load of Chinook hop, because Chinook hops we think go really well with red malt. Red I malts. love the I love the Chinook hop. You know, I like I like the conversation kind of centered around the hop now with 
kind of these, I don't want to say modern hop, I guess, like, you know, your Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe. Yeah, the like, new wave. And then you there. see, like, your Cascade, Centennials, mm-hmm. Ch- Chinooks, like, stuff that you're not seeing now because what we talked about earlier, the kind of the haze stuff. So so where do you find yourself usually when you your hop contracts and what you're, you know, what you know you're going to brew? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we're in a place where, again, being a 15-barrel system, um, we might have to worry about hop contracts or a source of hops for all of our year-rounders. But, I mean, you know, we're not half a or when we make a seasonal beer, we don't have to worry yet about sourcing a like contracted amount of hops. So playing the, the, the spot market, the only downside to the spot market, which is when you actually buy when you buy hops on spot, it means you're not buying them by contract. You're literally just, hey, what do you got? I'm buying them on the spot. Um, the only downside there is it's a few more bucks per pound most likely. But when you're talking about making 15, 30, 45, 60 barrels of it, and that's it for the year, it's not the end of the world. Um, in my opinion, it's better to make sure that you're staying right on top of the freshest you can get. You're not signing up on contracts you can't. You're fulfill. fresh and you can pivot if you want. To yeah, and there's else. even right now there's like right now a huge blowback because a bunch of brewers were signing contracts because they were like, I'm going to scale up. I'll be selling five times this beer next year. I better contract 800 pounds of it, and then they only use you know 200 pounds, and now they have 600 pounds they need to unload. So many brewers have done that that hot brokerages are literally sitting on all these contracts that aren't going to be fulfilled. So it's become kind of a crisis. And that's, been, that's been over a span of a couple of years. Yeah, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And, you know, now that we're uh, a mature market, we've got plenty of breweries in the area. These guys who thought they were going to be making 5,000 barrels a year are making 1,100 barrels a year. And, you know, they, they, they are sitting on a lot more hops. Um, so we didn't want to ever have that happen. Um, we weren't expect. I mean, also again, with the beers that we make, we're not, you know, going through 2000 pounds of citra a year. So the only thing we have contracted is Cascade and Centennial because we use them Just in a lot of our beers. Use a ton. Yeah. Very, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sad to say it's become a pedestrian hop, but, uh, you know, Simcoe at this point is a pedestrian hop, Depends which on makes who me you're laugh because yeah. you used to not be able to like, you know, sell a kidney for it, but. Um, here it is, and people are sitting on hundreds of pounds of it. Are there certain hops affected more than others right now? Like I've heard oh, Galaxy, absolutely. Galaxy. Yeah, ga- I mean, right. I mean, there are certain hops that only a couple farms in the world make. Galaxy's out of Australia. There's not a lot of Australian farms. Um, and on top of that, I believe that's one still where the farm that created it is really controlling the patent on it. So um, Simcoe was that way. Amarillo was that way, where the couple ho- uh, farms knew that they were sitting on fire. And so they made sure that they were the only ones that could grow it because they could be pretty much dictating whatever price they wanted. Yeah, I've seen like I always notice, too, there's hops I don't see. Like I, I didn't see Chinook hops in a lot of stuff for a while, you know, at least a lot of the big popular, especially with the hazy stuff. Or, but like, you know, I wasn't seeing Chinooks. I wasn't seeing Centennials as much in Cascade. Chinooks are an aggressive hop, uh, although, this, again, that probably goes back to you're not seeing the Cascade and Centennial so much because they're not the sexy thing to go on the label. They might very well. I find that Cascade and Centennial are a phenomenal founder. Like Epilogue was a very popular beer of ours. And that had a great sort of baseline of Cascade and Centennial Foundation so that the Simcoe, Amarillo, and Citra could sort of come out to play and really grow with it. it so I think the they're profile, a great base. What's the profile more on like a Chinook and a Cascade and a Centennial versus, you know, you usually hear the big terms with like a Citra, like, you know, citrusy and juicy, tropical. Yeah, like a lot the, of the new waves are tropical hop uh, or tropical fruit aromas, papaya, passion fruit, mango. Um, Cascade Centennial, Chinook, those are going to be sort of the old school American hops um, that are citrusy, piney, resiny, grapefruit. 
Got dank, getting a little more of that dank. Yeah, dank. California. Um, but even West now, there's Coast new wave IPA. hops that are like super dank. So um, it's a lot of these. These hop guys are they're, they're essentially just splicing different getting strains crazy. and finding you know where they can. They want to get as maximum grapefruit as possible, and if they can get that on something. Um, you know, it might lead leave Centennial in the dust. So, yeah. but that being said, Centennial Cascade—they're great hops. They grow really well. They have a phenomenal character to them, and uh, they have decent alpha acid, which is the bittering like compound. Trusty. They're like a trusty hop, right? Yeah, they're absolutely. Like, they're yeah, they're they're, they're a go-to. real tried and true um, tool in the the toolbox. So. They'll never go away, in my opinion. Well, I should never say never. No, you're probably right. <laughs> no. I, don't, I mean, I know I've bogged you down in hazy and IPAs and all that stuff, but what, what about your what about your stout game? What's going on with all that? <laughs> you know, you got the stout game. I see I see a lot of barrels back there. You said you had over sixty. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we kind of quietly do those kinds of things. Um, uh, probably our downside is we need to be louder about that stuff when we do it, but. Um, we, we've Playing got, cool. uh, you yeah, cool. I mean, our first, our first can release of the year. That's like a wide release, uh, for seasonals is Craven, our Irish dry stout, which is the one you had earlier. Right. Which is awesome. Um, Irish dry stout, real easy drinking, um, but with lemon peel. What'd that um, clock in at for ABV in there? I think five, six. Okay. I'm sure so it's like after a, this, you, I'm going to look it down the crush paper. It, it. Yeah, yeah. It's a very drinkable stout and Irish dry stout should be. It's a, right. it's, it's not, a style. It's supposed to be a Russian Imperial. Exactly. It's not a big, big Russian Imperial stout. Um, and then we also have. Uh, our imperial stout we released a couple months ago that's still around uh in the tap room at least is revenant um that's our imperial stout and that's a it's a bigger stout but we still make it as a base is um for an imperial stout drinkable it's about 10 percent and uh the reason we do sessionable that is, yeah right <laughs> it's <laughs> but i mean stout. you know it's it's not a big boozy sweet monster it's not like a dessert stout like yeah you see now. it's something okay. that you can have eight ounces of and still want to have another beer afterwards. Um, you know. So is that does that fall under like the mouth feel? Like is it a little thinner? Or is it a little? It's like, still well, full bodied, but it's not nearly the chewy like. You know, I mean, you're seeing some of these right it. now that are just <laughs> they're giant, it's and crazy. it's not that again. It's not that we're against that. In theory, it's just in our opinion, making only one imperial stout for this for the winter. We're going to do that one, um, but it also makes it a fantastic base for barrel aging because it'll take on that bigger barrel character and oh, it won't okay. suddenly become even more boozy a mess so uh we have 14 month old i think i uh, aged whiskey barrel aged version of it called uh the bell witch uh, and actually uh, the hopper review we just got scored nine out of 50 for their blind tasting uh, that they had nice. the other night no it was great it was really cool to see that i love it when it comes out of a blind tasting too yeah, it's a lot it's more um in no, my opinion no, like uh, just bias and yeah exactly it's there's a lot lot more it. objectivity to when it, your name's opinion. not all over it i mean yeah, yeah. that's cool so um we're going to be actually that's going to be our first ever uh barrel aged beer in a can release that'll be coming next month See, I love um, that concept. I think I really started to like that when Revolution did it with the, you know, with their Deep Wood series. Yeah, it's great to see it, it go out in cans. Um, fresh, twelve ounces. You know, I don't sometimes I don't want fourteen percent. The twenty-two <laughs> ounce bomber, or like, you know. well, and the way we release our beers is our beers are meant to be enjoyed right at, uh, as they hit the market. Like even you don't the bigger set guys. Set it in the fridge for yeah. a year, you know. Like, you, you, and there's I'm nothing wrong with cellaring. Um, yeah, like, no, I find absolutely. six months to be awesome on most barrel aged beers. I generally don't enjoy them after enjoy them more than they would have been enjoyed at like two or three years once it gets a little more oxidized i like to have it fresher than that but really we sort of make our beers to go out in packaging 
right when we want you to drink them. Like I'm um, the professional here, and I I know it was good now, so maybe you should drink it now. Right? Yeah, and I mean some some brewers do that. I mean, there's plenty of beers I lay down in my cellar. Uh, if it's made to, um, I'm a huge Allagash fanboy. Love Allagash, uh, and there's plenty of Allagash stuff I put in the cellar, not because it's like not drinking great now i i yeah. buy three of them and i drink one right away yep. but i view those allagash 375s to be something i pull out when a friend from out of town i haven't seen in forever it's very much myself like seller for me is totally about being celebratory it's not about like improving the flavor yeah. Yeah. Um, and i just happen to put I beers like, there where i know i like what you're saying well. right now because um, i'm just not i'm not there yet to that seller game where like people are i talk to so many people that are just out outlandish about cellaring but but like you said like that one that one's there because you know uncle jeff's coming in from wisconsin for the first time in a while and he likes a good stout yeah i'll have a buddy in from you know like colorado and i haven't seen him in forever then i'm gonna want to crack something open to celebrate it and that's why i like to have those pretension and you know (laughs) yeah and i mean there's nothing wrong with with it mellows out after yeah there's there's nothing wrong with like oh yeah i prefer a imperial stout with two years on it because i like the oxidized sort of port-like, sherry-like uh, flavors. Some people like that. That's totally fine. Like the barley um, wine, I feel like a little age on barley wines usually tends so, to well, work sometimes out Sometimes they're hot, for you know? Right, yeah, right. I mean, and, and so th- if it's hot, that, that sometimes will really improve it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of beers where I'm just like, this is great now. I don't see it becoming amazing. Maybe I'll keep one around, but um, that's really just to, to have when company comes around. What, Beer's what, meant to be shared for me always. So. What's the What was the name of the one you guys are doing then? The uh, Bell Witch. Bell Witch. Which okay. is Revenant, our base Imperial Stout that's that we release beer. fresh, but we always do a double batch of it to put away in some different barrels. Um, Revenant became uh, the Flying Dutchman a couple of years ago. We did a rum barrel off, off of Tailwinds. Uh, and that was a I huge release wins. for us. People loved it. Um, we really want to get it back. It's hard to get rum barrels that are fresh. Yeah, um, like good ones. I've heard that. Tequila Why too, gin. Um, I th- well, the less of there's, them there's plenty of rum that's not barrel aged. Um, and then also the rum that is, uh, it's it's hard to find small producers of rum that you can get barrels from fresh. Um, they're also usually extremely expensive in comparison to like bourbon barrels. Really? Uh, but tequila is the same way. Um, we're right now working with a partner who we're collaborating on a beer with who is a restaurant and they go through a lot of tequila because they're like a, uh, really highbrow, uh, Mexican restaurant. And we're hoping we Are can try not use to their connections. <laughs> uh, well, you know, yeah. Want, yeah okay. no, hey, no, I'm not going to push it. I'm just want, I'm just making no, sure. No, no, no. I mean, it's Cubo out of uh, Naperville. Um, okay. And Otto de Madre and Bien Trucher, they're all part of the same group. But we're, we're making a beer with them right now and for all their locations. And I sort That's of awesome. was like, hey, you know, you guys go through quite a bit of tequila. Is there any way you might be able to help a uh, broker? We're like, we're happy to pay for it, but we just cannot get tequila barrels that aren't on the drier side to save our life. So we're hoping we can because I love gin, I love tequila, so I love to play with those barrels. Oh, it's cool. I mean, yeah. you know, most of us are, you know, just beer drinkers like myself. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you think bourbon barrel, rye whiskey barrel, you know, that yep. kind of thing. You don't. And, and I've seen good ones. Like I've had a good, like a quad, I think, from Hailstorm. Mm-hmm. Crash Test Dummy was in tequila barrels. And it's mm-hmm. something that you're like, oh, man, this is pretty good, you know. So, and I know Tailwinds does a great job over there. So I'm sure their barrels are wonderful to put something in. So what you guys have at Bellwitch, that's is that going to be a full event? And we'll do a release here for sure. Um, we actually we what we do is we have um, four times a year. Although one of those four times is our anniversary because it comes right before the summer solstice. But we do a fest to celebrate the solstice and the equinoxes of the. Uh, 
Equinoxes? I don't know how to, whatever. Don't, girl. don't, yeah. don't look at me like I'm going to be able to correct you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the vernal equinox, and the autumnal equinox. We always try to have a Saturday close to that day where we do a little bit of a release, some special stuff. So we're going to be doing the Bell Witch as our release for the uh, vernal equinox. So now when the Bell Witch goes into these barrels, is it. Did you put the second batch into just bourbon, or did you go whiskey, bourbon, tequila, we spread did, it around? Uh, yeah, we spread it around a little bit. This batch of Bellwitch will be specifically the whiskey barrels. Um, so that so you'll be, call those other things. Yeah, those become other things. And are you correct. throwing adjuncts at these? I mean, it is. Uh, we well, we do. Uh, we're going to be doing a coffee variant of Bellwitch. I don't know if it'll it'll probably be on tap that day. We'll eventually do bottle releases of that. So we do cans of anything that we can make like 80 cases of yeah but something that we only have one barrel projects of we put in a two pack of bottles glass bottles uh 12 ounce uh 12 ounce two like two 12 ounces kinda essentially like a little bit more than a bottle. kind of like that with dino s'mores this this uh, i like that you can split it it's that. nice that it's, it's splittable um i've you know i really have had too many nights where i wanted to crack open a bomber of something bigger with a friend but it was just the two of us it was at the end of like we had a meal we had a couple other beers and it's too many like powering through the ends where I'd much rather split a 12 ounce with a friend so I like the two packs of 12 ounce like a lot. more people need to talk about that and express that to the beer world <laughs> because I've we, we talk about it all the time but it you know it's you don't see a lot of people catching on to that it's well it's, it's hard to make and packaging decisions are one of the hardest thing decisions we make it's gotta be a nightmare it's it, well it's it's just it's one of those things where like you have to make a bet it's gonna cost you money and there's a chance that it's going to turn people off and hurt you if you make the wrong decision. So it's a lot easier bottles. to go with the devil you know. Yeah. Or, yeah, or um, they're going to shit on you for charging too much for two 12-ounce Yeah, uh, you oh. have to worry about I mean, no one will blink at a you know, $15 two-pack, $20 two-pack if it's something really special. But you know, if you wanted to do that in a four-pack, it's not like you could sell that for $40. But it would still be the same price per point. beer. So. Unless you're Revolution, and it's deep well, yeah, you know, they've you got they build them, and even then, I hear people bitch about it, and I was like, yeah. you know, if you break it down by ounce, you gotta or do it by package, ounce. You really have to. I yeah. mean, that's that's education. I mean, yeah. that's education wise. So I mean, yeah. you can bitch about it all you want, but if you're not doing the math, then it's on you. So yeah, you wouldn't think of it twice about paying for a wine bottle like that. So right. you get a 750 milliliter you, a vanilla noise, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're going out there and paying 23 bucks or whatever. Yep. But, Break down the ounces and then start complaining or not complaining. But, yeah, that's that's a whole different uh, issue. Yeah, and, and it depends on your audience. Like, you know, it, talking about the craft-savvy crowd that's going to stand in line somewhere, they are not the same people that are going to be picking it off a of Benny's shelf, maybe. I mean, they might be the same person, but they're not always the same person. And that's hard. And it's definitely one of the – and also so many of us that are operating breweries, we just want to make beer. So it's definitely part of the game. Yeah, you don't wanna, I don't want to have to deal with those decisions. I just want to make yeah. awesome-ass <laughs> beer and get people to drink it. And yeah. I want to drink yeah. it. Yeah. I totally get that. That's uh, that's the good part about doing this podcast is getting is kind of see that perspective of the people that are actually doing it. And you don't realize these are just regular people making beer that, yep. <laughs> that really have a passion for it. Exactly. exactly. So, all right, well, tying into that, I mean, what is uh, – what does your outfit look like? Uh, you know, you got four of you guys in the kitchen, kind of. So, your whole social media presence, like who's handling most of that stuff? Who, how, you know, how important is that to what? Oh, you're, it's incredibly you're important. I mean, honestly, you can tell the weeks where we have good social media resonance versus not in the tap room. I mean, you can it, just see it. Oh, you wow. can, yeah, you can legitimately see it. So, um, 
it's it's huge it's important unfortunately those things are always changing like facebook algorithms change and all of a sudden you know I've it's heard a different that from multiple game. people recently um, yeah no algorithm thing yeah, yeah and and you know the more we have to rely on own premise business because you know you might be on the we're in the sh- we're on the shelf at almost 200 places for our ipa on in cans but velocity changes when you have 400 breweries on the shelf versus 200 breweries on the shelf so i mean you definitely have um more focus on a tap room than you used to, or unless it was what you wanted to do. But, uh, those kinds of things rely a lot more heavily on social media than say, you know, getting your IPA out to Benny's. And so that's become a huge part of the strategy you have to think about as a brewer, if you're running your own operation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we have uh, TJ, who is our sales rep and our sort of tapper manager. He just does a great job on our social media, in my opinion, which is so great he's because he's posting, taking the pictures. Yeah, he's taking a lot of the pictures. I mean, you know, we might take a picture and send it to him to post. Like, dude, um, put this on there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we all have access to the account I've thrown on our Instagram before, but generally, I like to let him sort of be the flow guy for that because he it, might have yeah. some things he's scheduled too. Um, and uh, he's also honestly, he's just way more savvy at it than I am. I mean, I'm I'm 32. I'm I'm an older millennial, so I I'm really shitty at Instagram. I didn't even think it was like a thing to worry about as a business. I thought other things were, but it is. So, um, and I'm I'm all right at it at my personal life, but he's definitely good at that. Um, we got some younger people that are on board that are much better at those things than i am guy that's like throw it it comes on the, like throw when it, com- it on the snap face yeah well <laughs> right you know when it comes to merch same thing you know i definitely let our tap room staff tell me like what do you think we should be doing here i'm also color deficient so i'm just shit at helping out with colors Dude, or looks guy. i don't see color well yeah <laughs> no so um it's definitely uh something that you have to sort of lean on your whole team for does that ever get weird? Like when they're like, "Hey, this or this," you're like, "Yes, I don't it does." See I colors, generally, so. yeah, I, I get shit at least once a week where so it's like, "Wow, so this doesn't even." You're way off huh? base. So yeah. color deficient versus color blind differences. Uh, uh, yeah, color blinds like you literally can't. You just you can't, can't tell see. almost any color from another color. Color deficient. It's like my reds and my greens are rough. My purples and my blues are rough. Just not as like navy and, and black and, is yeah. rough. Yeah, it's like they get smushed together. So. My buddy Jason has that too. It is. Yeah, <laughs> we like to make fun of him about it. But so <laughs> I'm not the best guy to be running. Does all, it get you all, out of like all these shoes or these shoes decisions. questions at home? Like oh, constantly. My <laughs> my wife has. To I don't know me. how would I know. Yeah, <laughs> but so what's that kind of big? What kind of stuff you guys got coming up here in the near future? What's, this what's our, you know I mean you got, we've don't got tell me you're quiet yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing really we're not no doing I mean shit. you know it's it, there's always something to be done but I mean we've we've definitely. Uh, just kicked off uh our, our our this is all our second year of putting seasonals in cans last year was the first year so we're trying to learn from the first year before um we had a pretty happily successful year with our seasonal cans last year um we want to be doing a few more things like dropping smaller amounts of more beers um but you got to be careful with that game too because you know you don't want your you don't want to be taking up a shelf of all these different different kinds of beers um so you just get it's figuring that out again it's uh you, you got different audiences you're playing to if it's Benny's versus a slashy like the open bottle or on um, beer cellar I love those places right. yeah no they're great great folks you're talking about dealing with like uh you know is that an industry term slashy 
a slash. Yeah, I, that, a few people use that That's term. Awesome. I don't know if it's like a wide. That's the first term. time I've heard. Yeah, on, like on slash off premise, I call them yeah. slashies. Yeah, but um, you know, it, and it's one of those things where like they're phenomenal. Um, but the the guys that we work with at Benny's are really great guys too. I mean, everybody, we're all here for the same. Right, thing. you we don't love, just, we love you're not shitting on the big guy. Yeah. like oh, Benny's is too big corporation. Like, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I like, it. but but you help you, move a lot of your beer to get into exactly. people's hands that may not normally drink it. Yeah, and you don't you don't find a slashy in every neighborhood either. So I mean, like it's definitely a great way to get your beer out there though you might in the next couple of years but (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's it's definitely uh it's a you you definitely want to make sure that you're working with all of those people and the best way to work with each and every one of them and um it's a lot of relationships to juggle it's a lot of relationships it's a lot of different philosophies it's a lot of different um you know irons in the fire so um it's the, and then we're also uh, about to be opening up our first market out of state. So we're going to be moving out to Ohio. Not a huge amount. We're not planning on like taking the state or anything. What goes like behind that? that? I'm what from goes, Ohio. <laughs> you're like, so simple. Ha- the north, the northern, Ohio, the bitch. northern half of Ohio is the first place we're looking to be uh, doing that. We're talking to a few other. Like, yeah, my areas. grandma's going to buy all of our beer. That's <laughs> <laughs> but we distro. Yeah, you don't. We don't want to be like a mile deep and an in, or excuse me, a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, but I would love to have a few places that we're having fun throwing some things out to and really just having it be pet markets, not necessarily. What do you do there? Do you kind of incubate and then say like, oh shit, this is catching on out there and then we ramp it up or is it just, yeah, I mean, you gotta be careful because everybody's got their local beer revolution going on right now. Um, so you want to make sure there's a bunch of dudes in Ohio somewhere making beer just like you. Yeah. Yeah. I know a few of them. I got a friend who's a brewer in Grant Brewing in Columbus. So, um, and I know what is there, what's their brewery? Uh, land grant, land grant. I mean, grant hey, say the name because somebody, yeah. somebody's going to be listening to this on a road right? trip going yeah. through Ohio, and they're going to be like, "Shitty, I heard it something about a Northern Ohio brewery." <laughs> like, should but, stop there. Yeah, I mean, like Great Lakes is the brewery I grew up on for right. craft beer. I mean, uh, Dortmund or Gold was the first be- first craft beer I got drunk. My father-in-law to, so. loves that beer. Yeah, man. it's yeah. it's a great easy. Dr- I mean, it's just an awesome always in your fridge type of beer. Um, you know, I remember back when Christmas ale coming out was just massively huge in Ohio when I was out there. Yeah. Um, oh, Christmas bobbles. On yeah. It. <laughs> Spent some time in Cincinnati. They've got kind of a craft beer renaissance going on. Uh, but yeah, so I just, uh, that, that seemed like a natural fit because I know the area a little bit. We actually have some relationships with like retailers that are out there, uh, because you don't want it just to be like a, Hey, let's get a hundred places open there and yeah. sell a, a case into each one of them every nine weeks. Tiny little, little, tiny little footprint here and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the important, I think, the important part is just to be sort of impactful wherever you go, even if it's small scale versus large scale. Yeah, you have to be really strategic in that in that sense. So otherwise, I, otherwise, you're gonna think you're doing really well, and all of a sudden, after you hit the market and you're the new thing for two months, all the other locals are gonna suck. Like people are gonna stop buying you because you're no longer the new thing, and they got local options. And so you're seeing that with a ton of regional breweries yeah, right now. They're feeling like, the pinch. Like Toppling Goliath, or you know, like you get pseudo Sue hit the market and people mm-hmm. went nuts, and then they kind of backed off, and then there's a whole thing with the con- you know. Yeah, there's a few out of state. There's a few out of yeah. yeah that that was an, that was its own separate it's issue a big too. Mess. Yeah, that's a mess. You, you have a bunch of. I mean, Illinois in the last five years have seen a ton of out of state suppliers be like, we're about to hit big here. And then after two months, it was kind of crickets. So. I mean, like Sweetwater, I feel like that's one that kind of. I mean, yeah, Sweetwater was almost, of legend, and then they came, and you know, that's great beer, but they're 
stuff that you can get from locals that is just as good right. and I, there's a I more like, personal connection. I like the strategy kind of that Longanitas came in with and they came build it, built in the they community. They made themselves and, a local. Right, they, they said, well, we're <laughs> and there's a reason Luma, Ballast but, Point's going to be building a group up here too. Right, we're going to, yeah, yeah, and Ballast, Ballast Point's planning on being a local. into this area yeah. too. They almost, you almost forget that they're not a local. Mm-hmm. Like when I get Longanitas, I think I'm buying a Chicago beer because I am because they're making it there and they're shipping it from, you know, it's coming they're in a truck They're hiring a lot of brewers here. I mean, but uh, do you guys have a beer that's kind of like that's you? That's not. I don't want to say flagship. I don't like saying flagship beer. But like, did you have a beer that kind of helped you go like, oh shit, I think we're gonna be okay. Like, so I'm I'm of the same opinion with flagship. I think that's a term that is only earned after years and years by a beer. Not every brewery has a flagship for real, and um, that's okay. As a matter of yeah. fact, I think it should be that only a few breweries have flagships. Allagash White to me is like the iconic flagship. I think that beer right is just it doesn't matter if you've had it a million times it's a great beer it sort and of you can helps get it define at like chili's i mean yeah. like, you it, know, it, it's amazing it's, the reach that beer has um it's amazing how many people that beer helps bring into craft like gateway um, beer that's what i like to call that yeah. that, that was, to me that would be like a gateway beer it uh it define helps define allagash without putting it in a box which is really cool uh but yeah i mean i would say that i don't know if i'd say that we have any beers where we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to be all right because of this one and only beer. Um, I mean, you know, the IPA is always a workhorse. Wise Fool helps keep the lights on way more than Grendel, the old ale you had, it even though that, that's the taps the, and one uh, of the most fun projects we've ever done. Yeah. The the fun projects tend not to be the ones that keep your lights on. So, And that's okay, too. And like, that's but fine. there's also not days. I mean, you know, at the end of the day. They make people happy, though, those cr- those goofy things that you do. Or like, wh- yep. what was the house? The house. Uh, beer that that i had the one that you own that oh you ingenue. ingenue our farmhouse that we okay. keep in stock always here yeah um Delicious yeah that beer. one was going to be a seasonal and people were so sad when it went away and then we brought it back like after a while and then we've just kept it to stay because it's the only belgian that we do like regularly um and it's it's a lot of fun it's a it's a specifically the yeast we use is a very uh unique yeast and i don't think uh i've had other farmhouses in the area around here I'm a big fan of the style, so I have it a lot. I don't think uh, other breweries are using this yeast strain, which makes it nice and unique. So it's got a cool anise note without being yeah. so anisey that it's gross. I mean, anise is something that can be can really polarizing for people, uh, but people tend to really like it. And I like it. There's just a it's touch Zambuca of it. flavor. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't even tell people it sometimes because they're like, oh, gross. I hate anise. And it's like, well, you're, no, give you me the, drink give me three the of this. Yeah. So you don't mind it too much if it's the right no, amount it. of intensity. But, um, so that, that one, uh, that one's something that you, you do distro kegs of it. We do, we do distribute kegs of it. Um, it is available year round in kegs. We have actually, we have a few accounts out there that like, uh, pour it, uh, steady. Uh, but, uh, it's definitely not like the, because we don't do can printed cans of it or anything like that. We, it's not like this massive push. We sort of quietly always have it there for the places that want to pull cool out beer. a farmhouse. It's a cool Thanks. beer. I mean, it's one of those ones. It's got like an orange know. peel thing. The yeast yeah. does too. There's no spices or fruit in that beer. And I just like, I think that farmhouses are meant to be as pure an expression of the yeast as you can have it be. Um, for the most part, I mean, obviously they're farmhouses is meant to break rules but generally i really like that about farmhouses is you really put the yeast on display and that's just a yeast that's fun to put on display well when you get into talking about that kind of stuff i, I ultimately think to myself like is there a sour program happening is there anything we have a few interested yeah in we have or? some kegs over there um the two well no only one of the beers we put out at a faux bab was a sour 
but uh yeah we have some small brett program stuff going on um i've got a belgian oud brune that actually like i've intended to be like a 20-month project that's coming close to being done uh that had uh brett and pediococcus in there um so yeah we, we do some of them um we plan on this summer trying to rock and roll a few like kettle sours um those are really fun to play with I'm just learning about like the differences between kettle sours and wilds right. and yeah. spontaneous and all you know all these different things you can do. I mean, yeah. So the kettle sour is kind of like the quick fix sour, right? It's well, it's it's just a different it's a different kind of sour. Um, it's not quite as complex as um, a barrel aged sour, but it has its own sort of clean component that is also very fun. Again, I think they're completely different. It's not like one's better than the other. Um, it's certainly better for the pocketbook of brewers that kettle sours are quick because that's that's easy. And right. also, the big Almost thing is kettle sours around. are also easy control. So if you're trying to make a consistent product, the kettle sour is the only way to really get super consistency um, because there's a little bit of chaos at hand always with the barrel aged sours. There's issues with like equipment and stuff too right you're putting bacteria yeah kettle sour is nice because you're talking about something that like you kill it it right at the kettle and you're not going to be infecting downstream whereas you're talking about with barrel sellers those are certain bugs that can run amok oh i see see that i find that all that stuff fascinating so so do you find like the perfect marriage for i guess i don't want to say personally but for like a wide breadth of people trying that kind of style is it the better marriage like wine barrel sour like versus any other type of barrel. Like you mean with somebody completely new to the game? Well, no, I mean people that like the sour fan, somebody that's big, that, that likes sours. So they, they prefer like red wine barrel. Like a, I, like the ultimate is like Cabernet sour, you know, red yeah, sour. Yeah, you know, I think actually my favorite's a Chardonnay um, sour only because that tends to be sort of light and um, you know, it's just light on its feet, it's spritzy. Um, spritzy. But word. you can still have a lot of depth coming out of a Chardonnay barrel. Cabernet barrels. I've had some really phenomenal ones. Um, the Oud Brun that we're doing over there, that's almost done after twenty months. That's cab- uh, Cabernet barrels, but um, I do find that Chardonnay is almost more enjoyable in my experience for me. But that's a real one. subjective Chardonnay thing. Chardonnay one. I'd like to try that. Yeah, we did. Uh, our, one of our Soubrette was one of, and we have a couple kegs of it still over here. We haven't cracked out yet, but uh, that was what we sent to Fobab. Uh, it was oh, cool. Uh, Chardonnay barrel aged, uh, Britannomyces only, uh, with, uh, strawberries and a touch of smoked strawberries right at the end. Smoked strawberries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a good relationship with standard market out here, specialty grocery store, and they have a smoker for market. making jerky and stuff. And, uh, so we actually have the smoke fruit. We actually get to pick the fruit like fresh from their produce section and say, can you, these three pounds of peaches, can you smoke for us? That's cool. Uh, and throw it in, you know, barrels or whatever. What does smoke give you that, that like little layer of, of what? It's really cool with the sweet fruit um, because you get like, a, especially if like you use cherry wood or whatnot, you're going to get almost, um, you know, the way you can have almost like a sweet smoke to bacon or ham. Yeah. Like a barbecue um, you, joint type. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. But just with, when applied to fruit, it's, it's you know, it's very unique. Oh, that's killer. All right. So we talked a little bit about off mic you know we're talking about your beers and all that stuff tell me a little bit about your background in music and that um i was a not a huge background but i was uh when i went to school for undergrad a little bit one of my majors i I was a dual major one of my majors was music performance so i was a upright bassist in the orchestra and a bass player in the jazz band and then i like you know paid the bills by being in some shitty ipod 
cover band. You love it. Uh, no, it was honestly, it was a blast. It was my passion. The, the music was a means to an end, which is like when you're playing music to a crowd. Because my, my band, we played for four years. Um, we used to do like New Year's Eve gigs in the city of Chicago because there was a lot of Chicago alumni from our school. Um, you know, when you're playing to a crowd, it's awesome because you connect with people. It's All right, just, give me some of the songs. What kind of songs were you Oh, you don't want to know. I mean, oh, like, we I literally, totally well, our favorite thing was we used to play at a bar that had UFC every once in a while, and they would never tell us, but we'd be like, oh, no, it's a UFC. Would you wear a tap out shirt? It's a very specific crowd. <laughs> Uh, but our favorite thing was to open with "Killing in the Name of" nice. and go right little, into the gym, right into the Jim Blossoms right after, because <laughs> the no. look, oh, the For look real? on the face of the crowd that was in there. Anywhere you go, yeah, that one, it, is that Jim Blossoms? Yeah, fall you down or uh, God, what's the other one? Been so I mean, long. I listen, I listen to yeah. "Killing in the Name of" every day in the morning at the gym. So that, that, you know, that album for me is one of my favorite albums of all time with Bomb Track and all that on it. Yeah, that's, uh, but that's hilarious that you go transition like that and the gin blossoms. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, this I bet you get some looks. I bet you get some looks. Yeah. So what did you guys do recently? What was it? you were you were telling me about uh, this? Brewers oh no, there was thing a cool yeah the Brewers. Uh, it, was, it was called the Brewers Ballyhoo. It was put together by the guys at Kinslogger. They're right across the street from the Wire, which is a music. Um, Hall and Berwyn and uh, it's like right on the line for Berwyn and Oak Park um, really cool uh, event where nine breweries w- just there tends to be a lot of musicians amongst the brewer crowd so nine breweries Creative had types. enough okay. yeah right okay. and nine breweries uh, nine breweries had musicians amongst their brew staff or the brewery staff I don't know if all of them were necessarily brewers uh, so we all fielded bands made up of at least partially our brew staff and then um brought uh kegs in for the night so nine back to back almost like a battle of the bands the crowd voted on their favorite band and then um you know all the beers were on tap super cool but we got second place actually we lost by two votes what beer did you have there uh we had a tangerine imperial ipa so it was a one-off that we made we infused a, a prologue with uh tangerine puree What's your guys' approach for like a like an imperial? You know, sometimes you get the higher ABV double IPAs, and they're um, like a sweet, almost. I don't know. I don't it know depends to... on the beer we make. I mean, Epilogue is sort of our warm weather imperial IPA. It's uh, got a real nice dry finish to it. Uh, we use a little bit of dextrose corn sugar uh, in the malt bill uh, during the boil because what that does is the yeast completely eats that, and that helps dry out the beer because it's not like maltose or. Um, the sugar is found based out of the malt itself, where some of it is in fermentable. Uh, and that helps make you, you, you can make an 8.5% beer that's very light and on its feet. And uh, then we hit that with Citrus Simcoe and Amarillo on top of Cascade and Centennial. And you get this wonderful mango papaya. That's a hell of a combo big, right there. Big, yeah, it's a, it, and it's uh, turning into a classic combo. I think yeah. those three work really well together. They're really hitting um, Yeah, and they scratch a lot of itches. But it's great beer, 8.5%, but it drinks pretty light. Uh, and then Prologue is what we have out right now and that's an imperial ipa made sort of bigger um maltier uh we actually literally went with sort of like a graham cracker crust kind of character from it uh and then we used really? lemon, lemon drop and a zaka so kind of a lemon meringue thing but uh oh, that's really interesting yeah yeah, yeah. what yeah. was that that prologue that was prologue okay. prologue which is out right now and it's uh that one's bigger i think it's nine percent if i remember correctly is that in the tap room right now I'm it is to, I'm yeah to check that one yeah out. you'll have to try it i'll try it before i leave yeah but okay. that one's that one's more malt based whereas epilogue is definitely more hot based um, i definitely want to get that that flavor get a little reference to it yeah yeah so it's lemon drop and azaka help sort of bring that to the table do you guys do music or anything here 
Do you yeah, we have we have bands have play bands? from time to time. We try to have a couple nights. Get full a, bands a month. in here. Honestly, we don't do we Mostly don't do drummers really. Or, yeah, okay. I mean, it, we had drummer a drummer next door during a private event the other night, and it was crazy. It was wow. it was not it was not it did not ruin the ambiance, but it was. I mean, drums do not do well in breweries. In the chest sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of hard surfaces around here. So, uh, what, where do you where do you put them in here? I know people can't see, but they people have been to your tap room. They going out here? Oh uh, yeah, right uh, by the front door to the tap room. Okay. There's a little nook. And Killer. the nook is perfect. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. So you do a lot of acoustic sets and stuff. That's yeah. It's good to see that. I mean, I don't know, live music and beer go together so well. Oh yeah, my greatest my greatest uh regret is that we don't have a place where you can easily shove an entire band because I love live music. Yeah. Just to have yeah, that'd be great. I mean, like like Hailstorm's a place I was instantly kind of uh, attracted to just because they had music. Yep. You know, there was music there. Didn't have to be full bands, anything like that, but they had blues and they had regular. Yeah. I mean, they had energy and, and different kinds. Open mic, yeah. I mean, that's... Yep. that's yeah, they, cool. I know they do an open mic, which is really cool. Thursdays, yeah. A buddy of mine hosts that. That's a really nice nice time over there. That's what got me started going there, actually, because I was like, beer and music? Yeah, let's do this. We've been talking about maybe doing that. Open mic nights are hard and if you can't field a good field of musicians, yeah. but if you've got a good local community, the problem is you don't know that until you do it. So we, we've been talking about... Like, yeah, off. we're like, all right, let's just pull the trigger on it we keep talking about it because it's it's i don't know i think that's really cool i used to do open mics when i lived in ohio so mm-hmm. i come up with something special yeah right so what kind of beers got you started in the in the beer world Ooh, that's uh so the first one like ever gateways first one ever was chimay uh chimay grand reserve okay no it was the chimay red it was the regular chimay uh just a belgian double and talk about like realizing that beer is more than just fizzy yellow stuff Whoa. um Dortmunder Gold was a new one, uh, was one to help develop that too. Um, to be honest, the one from Great Lakes that is like always going to be one of my favorites is Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, such phenomenal a porter. Um, Founders Porter and that one are two of my favorite porters in America. Um, Allagash, I mean Allagash White, yeah, you big time. About uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a big Allagash, New Glarus, sense. and Half Acre. Are just New Glarus was like favorites. my gateway into into the world. Somebody handed me a spotted yeah. cow and a Moon Man. And I was like, what? Yeah, Moon what Man is, is my favorite American pale ale. Yeah, uh, I mean, probably always will be. I always try to keep a fresh stock of it in the fridge. Yeah, which we're close enough to the line. It's easy yeah. to do. Have some. Uh, my uncle lives in Minocqua, so yeah. <laughs> you know I visited him often. So and half nice. and half acre from a standpoint of uh, it's not even that they're making like the best beer in the world. They're making great beer. Um, their attitude, beer. yeah, it's consistently good beer, and their attitude is so wonderfully inclusive. And I am so sick of the exclusivity bullshit that we see in this industry. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I just I think that it it does sell, but I think the whole this is our club, maybe we'll let you join. Um, it's it's not it's not. I don't think it's a good look on the industry, and also at the end of the day, I don't think it's why I got it. It's not anywhere near why I got into beer, um, and that's. I don't know that it is what it is though. It's also, you know, as a brewer who's been around the industry for almost 10 years now, it is something where you do have to come to grips with like our cultures change in this industry and they can be from time to time. But that's one thing that I just don't, I am totally open to the idea of like as styles become more popular, or less popular being a brewer means like one of my favorite quotes is Eric Clapton saying like the minute you stop listening to music, other musicians, you stop being a musician. And I think that's how that works in our industry. Like people that are just going to grump about things changing and not trying the best that is out there of those things. Like it's not like there's not new ideas out there. Yeah. I've heard a couple of brewers say things in interviews that really get my hackles up. 
um, when they talk about no one, like everybody's just trying to do out, outdo three Floyds or no one's coming up with anything new. And it's like, well, you're, you're not, you're not fucking listening, man. Sorry. Can I say that? No, you can absolutely <laughs> say that. Like what's the arc you've seen since 2014, basically when you're building this place out that you've seen that arc of, of like, where were these kind of like points on the line graph that kind of <laughs> were like, we're way up here. And then it's like, everybody's invited and everybody's fun. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, for the most part, it's still a very um, inclusive environment, uh, especially from the brewers themselves. I think there's, uh, you know, I don't think like uh, there's a lot of brewers that love to just bitch about untapped. And I mean, untapped's like any other internet tool. It's been misused, but I don't think that's the heart of the problem. I think that there's a mentality of like the collector's mentality of a guy collect them all. I have to try the new thing. There's a lot of disloyalty out there right now. Um, And I think that that that's hard when you're the person creating things because you want to feel like like the best thing we, we do or the thing I enjoy the most as a brewer is making a connection with somebody. It's not about trying to lord my abilities over somebody. Um, it's about connecting with someone. And when you feel like somebody's not looking to connect with you specifically, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow if you feel like they're just running to the next one. Like, you know, we definitely have um, our, our regulars that are super loyal, but we also have the days where we release a new Imperial Stout and someone shows up and like there are now the Imperial Stout regulars where I'm like, I'm not going to see you until the next time we release an Imperial Stout. Which, yeah, I could see that being rough. It, I mean, well, it's a little, it, you can't take it personally though because right. maybe that guy really likes Imperial Stouts and that's and the rest of the beer world's not really his thing. It's not really his fault or a bad thing that right. he's like that, but so it is something that you come I to grips with style. as a, a brewer. Well, right, so. like Bellwitch. Bellwitch is going to bring people We will out see people here, here for Bellwitch right. that I won't see until 100%. our next Imperial Style release. And there's, you know, there's and I've not been that guy before, that, too. So. I've been that guy before. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I could have sat here and done this whole inter- For me, personally, full honesty, I'm a, I'm a Hot Butcher fanboy. Yeah. I could sit here and talk to you about Hot Butcher yeah. all night, but, I mean... Like I said, I'm I'm getting to know you guys a little bit. I love the I love your approach right now and the stuff that you gave me on a flight and all that stuff. So now it's like, and you you mentioned Untapped. Like Untapped is like a blessing and a curse at the same yeah. time. It's it's brought me to some of the best beers I've ever had, and it's kept me away from some of the best. It beers can give I've you blinders. Like, is the problem? Yeah, yeah. and and I, I don't like everything was so built in this industry on having an open mind that watching minds narrow to certain things is, is frustrating. Uh, it's also completely natural and human. It, like it's not like when I started and strawberry shorts cake, cake came out in Michigan and everyone went nuts. It's not like that wasn't already a thing. That was a thing. Like when we would go to Great Days to the Midwest ten years ago, people were going ape shit for Shorts Brewing Company because they were the only ones making those stouts that tasted like a different dessert. Yeah, it still existed, Crazy. but um, you know, I think a lot of guys. It, it it still is a frustrating thing, even if at the end of the day, I don't think it's like the end of the world. It's happening. Uh, but it's definitely something you deal with as a brewer. You uh, try to find that balance between like, okay, it's okay to do these yeah, these yeah. dessert styles because some people do some amazing shit with the dessert styles, but you also have to find strike that balance between making it everything that you're doing and the only thing you're focusing on or like yeah. just half-ass doing a dessert stout because that's what everybody yeah, wants. Yeah, because you're so chasing the cake the mix money in there and we okay. threw, you know, coffee and then we threw this and it's like, well, you that's did, but did you do it well? That's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. If I see adjunct, uh, well, it's not adjunct specifically. It's watching processed food uh, products get thrown into something. Processed food. I had a peanut butter cup stout from, well, I won't, I won't say the brewery because I want to flame them. They're not locals. They're not locals, but I had a peanut butter cup stout from them that was phenomenal, but they put peanut butter cups in the beer. And I'm like, that's not that 
that's the surest way to get the FDA up our asses in this industry. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. We don't have food products going into these beers. These are raw materials that are made in a way that you can't get people sick. But if you start putting in processed food products into your beer, you're going to have two more agencies dealing with us. And I, as a brewer who just wants to make like that beer could have been just as good using raw materials, but throwing in a bunch of peanut butter cups is the gimmick to sell it. And and don't get me wrong. I'm sure it worked. I'm sure it sold a lot of those, those beers, but that's a whole nother thing too. I mean, I think that I love, I love the, I love the challenge of trying to make a beer taste like something like that. We're using proper ingredients. That's a good point. Dino s'mores doesn't taste like dino s'mores because of a bunch of marshmallows thrown in it. They like, they figured out how to use raw materials to get there. That's cool. Um, That's a really good point. I, I, so, I like the way you're you're opening my eyes right now to some thought processes. Well, it's, at but, the end of the day, it's also just a brewer loves to make traditional beer bitching. But um, at the no. same time, though, at the same time, though, I do see that, and I'm like, I would love like there are peanut butter powders that are essentially like the sand that is has been all the oil removed out of a peanut, where you can get really in, interesting flavor out of. That's something where I could get behind using that ingredient. Cocoa nibs. Um, there is pure liquid cacao now with it is just super chocolatey and is actually the raw material and is a quality product. Like those are things you can use, but like throwing Lucky Charms into the mash tun is not that's a gimmick. You're not it's naming not, names. Yeah. I've seen a lot of cereal type stuff happen. Yeah, and I, I promise you, I literally couldn't tell you right webs. now a brewery that's no, done that, it. but I'm sure it. there are four that are going to think I'm talking about You're them like, or something. But that asshole. It is just, it is a line. That I don't draw a lot of lines, but it's a line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's, it's a cool place we've gone to for that reason. But I also think that, like I said, that it, I, untapped should be opening minds. It shouldn't be narrowing minds. And I think that right now it's getting narrow those, the culture is getting a little narrowed and only a few styles they want to chase. You hear a lot of advice giving based on it, uh, you know, just in groups of guys like I hang out with and drink with, you know, you, you hear the, the new guy comes in and he's like, you know what? Hey, use untapped. You know, we kind of get them started on that and then look at these. But then you have guys giving them the advice, like if it's under a four, don't buy it. Like, you know, and then it's, you kind of yep. close off. Oh to, yeah. And that's the, and, and it's like, well, look closer at that. Are there only 17 reviews? Because I'll, I'll give you a good example. Let 17 people dictate how a beer is going to do. It's I'll, not. I'll know, give you an healthy. example just under your own roof right now. Blazed Orange, when it came out last year, it, it hit like a 3.8 something. And then now they just, this iteration of it this February, now they're already way, way up over that because they change, they tweak the recipe a little bit. But if you're just looking at that app the day Blazed Orange comes out, you might pass it up because three. Well, they also they also have another year of goodwill amongst people, so that's right. going to raise the the rating. And again, I'm not saying like yeah. Blazed Orange, I thought's phenomenal. Like, and they they tweak the I recipe. The, I love the day of the and drinking it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, like uh, hop butchers seeing the same thing. Like as they as they grow their reputation by making great beer, that's just going to help steer that. And right. um, it, it would not be fair for them to at the start like i re, i remember uh i re, or uh, i remember talking to them you know there was one of their beers that f- tasted phenomenal but it fell out like clearer it wasn't su- as hazy 6 weeks later that's a whole and different there were people talking problem. a whole bunch of shit about them 
because it, it, like, it tastes too. great, but it dropped out its haze. Like all of a sudden, that was the write off point of that beer. I'm like, the first guy to run out me. and go buy the hazy IPA, but at the same time, it's like, I get it. Like, yeah. I get the fact that, it, like, why is that the, that shouldn't be the, the point of it. it should the haze the t- should be taste the it. byproduct of it. all like, of the other things involved. Like, now the haze could be proof, or the haze could be, uh, you know, a visual. Uh, cue that it's going to have a great mouthfeel to it. Right. And but that's usually the what haze I like is to a see, byproduct you know? of making a great mouthfeel. The yes. haze is not the point. The haze is probably a clue that it's going to go somewhere. Maybe um, I should just sip some flour in there and make it all, make them all hazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not, not uh, I don't get I, that part. I don't get about the hazy IPAs because I do think I'm not someone who will write off it because it's hazy because proper beer should be clear. That's yeah. not the point. Yeah, That's a different my old curmudgeon look. Yeah. Know? It's, it's more that like the haze forms often because there's some really cool things going on with the mouthfeel or the use of the hops that do, that doesn't mean that that's the reason it's a great beer. So, oh, this tastes great and has great mouthfeel, but it's not hazy enough now. I'll knock a point off. Like that's insane. That's yeah. a narrowed viewpoint. Yeah. And um, you know, I've seen breweries be victim of that. Sorry, I didn't mean to make this about hazy IPAs. No, I mean, it's cool. I like being able to talk about that because everyone knows I'm not like sour grapes on our own beer being like reviewed that way. I've never made a hazy IPA, so when I see someone misreview a hazy IPA, I feel like I at least don't have skin in the game yet. Where I, can, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have to sound. They're not like talking about me. Yeah, I'm not any angry because someone talks shit about me. So, what's your favorite beer that you've ever brewed up here? Ooh, Do you have one. I didn't mean to get corny on you now. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an English mild named Angry Mob that John produced with Buckwheat, and it's really, really great. I um, dig how, like, your na- your beer names kind of, like, they're not, like, the same, but they're thematical in a sort. I mean, you know, yeah, we talked I, about I, literature and that, but, like... It's fun to make systems. I don't know. Like, they make li- making, sense making together. A little, building a little world is, is a nice byproduct of yeah. making a bunch of beers. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty straight English mild, except John uses a little bit of torrified buckwheat, which is, like, roasted buckwheat. Gives it almost, like, a rich hazelnutty kind of toast to it and uh it's a really it's 4.2 percent super drinkable but nice and rich on the front and then it's crazy with that ghosts it's awesome um that's up there um one of my recipes is a gardener it's a belgian wit um i wanted to take it and mm, go with a different set of botanicals than what the traditional like orange peel and coriander is in a wit so I took a riff off of a lemon bar I make with vanilla, lavender, sugar in the crust. So it's le- uh, lavender, vanilla, and lemon peel. I dig the cooking angle you take from this. Like, there's a bunch you, of you there's a bunch of really cook, great right? combos. Yeah, yeah totally I, mean, I, I cook all the time. Like yeah. I definitely like when I'm not getting home late at night, um, I'm cooking up dinner for my you're wife. You're doing shitty podcasts. No, <laughs> no, no, that wasn't the. <laughs> I would be yeah. at home cooking. We, uh, right uh, John now, and Joe. I, John and I, try to every other week. One of us works behind the bar. Every week, one of us works behind the bar because we like honestly. If there's one thing I did not foresee starting this place was how much fun it is to play the hospitality angle, which I wanted to get in the hospitality game before as a brewer, anyways. So you are hospitable. Yeah, I like to be. Even behind you like the bar, to hide like a so troll. Like slide it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but. Uh, yeah, that's a, that was a fun beer um, because to me, mastering the wit involves mastering the malt bill, and so okay. I really, I really dig, um, I really dig malt bills on 
certain Belgian styles because that's not usually what you're looking at when you look at the Belgian beers, but some of those things are really awesome foundations. And the hops are the sexy thing. The malt is yeah, the you know, hops are, yeah. This, I mean, we can all agree the least right sexy thing is the water profile, even though that's really important know, to the it's process. It's pretty cool to so. hear people talk about that shit, man. When you get people talking about like the alkaline and all that, and yeah. just it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it, something I want to learn Water chemistry is incredibly important, and, and it tends to be written off. So I love that that people have been kind of spreading that to me because I I'm, I never was a home brewer and I've just started home brewing with with uh, my father-in-law and then a good friend of mine has done it for years so I started doing that and it's like we're just kind of grabbing distilled water and brewing but then I'm mm-hmm. talking to these guys and I actually talked to a local brewers guild and they were like oh yeah these Camden tablets and you can do this or take half RO water versus this you know as a home brewer if anyone's on Chicago water you don't even really need to do That's RO the or Michigan distilled goodness, yeah the right? Lake Michigan yeah. it is a very neutral water so you can go in different directions with it very easily um, and it's a really cool part of what we are as a geographical area because um, you know this is like probably in my mind tied for some of the best brewing water in the world because of the fact it's a glacial lake system it doesn't have to bubble through the rock so it's not picking up hardness it's not picking up uh, seasonal changes in minerality um, all we do is uh, take out the chlorine using like essentially an industrial size brita filter to like start with a neutral water profile and go from there so it's not just badass dudes like yourself that know how they're doing it's just water it's just it's, the water <laughs> yeah the water's yeah yeah huge part of it I, well, yeah, I mean, like I would hate to be in an area where you had to like spend a ton of uh, headache and checking things to really stay on top of your water because you're getting it from a certain well source. Yeah, that, that, we had that, two wells we pulled from our two brothers, and it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was completely two different, completely water profiles, so you had, it was hard to know exactly where you're at unless you tested it thoroughly. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that everybody's sleeping on our water talk. <laughs> See what I, I mean? I yeah, it's awesome. not very I, I think it's cool. Certain individuals think it's sexy, but yeah. it's not it's not uh you know. Y'all didn't know water was sexy. Yeah. See? So what's what's going on? what separates well not that's not the way I want to ask it, but like what does a canning line like you guys have here give you that a lot of places <laughs> flexibility right? is reason like, to own your own canning line, really. I mean honestly these mobile canners, they're very reasonable. And they're very like reliable. They know what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of pluses to having your uh, going with a mobile canning line. Uh, if you're doing a certain volume, Space. there's a break even <laughs> to where you're saving on each can being made. Um, and as a 15 barrel system, we can get there pretty quick. But um, the big thing I've now found is the flexibility of like you have to schedule your mobile canner, and if something comes up. Like it's going to be a pain in the ass if you've got to like reschedule, but you're waiting on tanks to empty. We can have a day where something went wrong or something didn't get done, and we have to push everything a day. And there's no calling another person who's like you know coming from Michigan and also has seven other breweries to schedule with. So yeah. that's a big that's a big flexibility thing. So why uh why twelve ounce versus the sixteen ounce four packs? Uh, the whole going back to beers meant to be shared in our opinion kind of thing. Um, I think the twelve. 12 ounce six packs are great for parties. Um, so Hell that's yes. really why we do that. And then the reason we do four packs with the Imperial IPA is really going back to that worrying about the unit cost. We wanted it to be a 999 unit versus a, you know, it'd be a 1499 six a pack. Of, a lot of per- so, perception, I guess, in that. Too. Yeah. You it's don't want to, you know, and, yeah. and to us, it's, it's not, we don't, we're not looking to, you know, we're not looking to rake in off of a certain, you know, um, what do we call it? Uh, 
just had a complete brain lapse. That's good. That's why we have a trend. long format podcast. You know, we're not looking to like rake in over a certain trend or whatnot. Okay. So we kind of pride ourselves on really trying to be competitive. And that's actually had its own frustration too because you, there's a certain amount of uh, self-distribution brewery stuff going on where it's like it's like a race to the top of prices. And you almost worry about like why what's wrong with your beer that you're devaluing yourself that way when it's really you just, you just want to be – you know, the beer that people can grab and take to a party. Yeah. Um, what's, uh, what do you guys have hours wise? You, you're closed just Mondays, just Mondays, just Tuesday Mondays? through Sunday. We're open. We open at three during the week, uh, okay. noon during the weekends, Friday, we're open noon or Fridays at three to 11 on the weekends. What's that? Is Friday at three or Friday? Friday is three to 11. Three to 11. Mm-hmm. So do you guys get food trucks often? Is it? Yeah. I mean, we, we generally have food here most Fridays. Um, do you guys you ever know, do anything with Chuck's? Friday a week. With Chuck's over You know, there? Uh, Chuck's does our anniversary party. They Love come out Chuck's. with a, ch- oh, they're amazing. They're right. phenomenal, man. They were, they were pouring beer one day before we were here. No shit. Uh, for us, yeah, they've been very supportive. They're our longest running account. Oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah, but yeah, my my brother in law is a Southside guy, and he he's, yeah. he's no Chuck Chuck Chuck's in Berwyn. Chuck did my my nephew's uh, christening, like you know, par- privately came himself yeah. and cut up all oh, in he, on. He's awesome, down, man. And Any he's given Friday man. night, he'll be busting tables. Like he is yeah. a Isn't that he's crazy? always moving. He's a hummingbird. That's a legit human being, right? Yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool. You guys, so you guys do get some food trucks quite often. Yep. And you're yep. trying to get back there. You, you think about a food truck yourself? Surprised <laughs> you're not cooking back there. <laughs> no, Something no. Something tells no. me you had a thing for cooking that you're like, I'll leave this brewery business and go cook. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think I think uh, end of the day, someday, like when I'm near the end of my career, it would be awesome to have a brew pub situation going yeah. on. But uh, production was what we knew, and we didn't want to suddenly add this thing that John and I had zero experience with. Um, we just wanted to focus on making good beer first and get there later. So you got any uh, plans laid out for this place? Anything in the near future? <laughs> no, Anything? nothing, nothing in the near breaking. So no, nothing breaking. The, no cheeky riding like, the status yeah, quo. No, no cheeky reference to like a second location okay. or anything like Ooh, that. No. Look for us in down yeah. there. So. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So and and like you said, you got uh, you got the barrel at the Bellwitch coming. What? How? how Bellwitch how release soon should be uh, Saturday, March tenth. Saturday, March uh, 10th. And so then all of you Imperial hunters. That's uh, right. <laughs> Russian Imperial Stout hunters. Yeah, we should have a couple variants on that day. Okay. Um, what you kind know, of stuff are you going to variant with? Your coffee? What we else? got a couple uh, things up in the air. Some we crazy got stuff, uh, some stuff you just holding off. Yeah, you know, um, I have kind of a affinity for some coffee based stuff, but we're thinking about going with maybe a dirty chai take on it. Okay. Uh, so coffee and some masala spice. Dang. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. you guys aren't afraid to get a little crazy. With oh, no. And honestly, stuff. like, it's very, you know, we, we do titrations. Like, there's a lot of ways to do it controlled. And that's my what big thing is I like control. What the hell did you say? What the hell is a titration? Uh, so when you take, you take uh, sort of test variants where right. I'm literally measuring how many milliliters to 30 milliliters of beer. Of Beakers certain, and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Graduated cylinders are involved. Yeah. Okay. So it's at least a educated guess, nice. you know. Um, but... You're not just throwing double stuffed Oreos in there with That's some right. No, beans. we're not. We're not just crunching a bunch of uh, cinnamon toast crunch and putting it in the French I'm press. I'm totally gonna try that with a French press. It's happening. I'm yeah. gonna try it with the Bourbon County one day. I'm I don't sorry. know. I saw. I saw the other night someone did that with uh, VSOD from Revolution, and yeah, it just felt I like can a. See that. It's such it, a good beer. It's uh, well. I, that's that what I was. I was just like, wait. So you took Revolution's version of Bourbon County Rare. And you, so you pushed it through a French press with all of that and probably destroyed its like head retention and all its the delight, foam. All the delight it made me it very now. sad. I'm not against necessarily experimentation, but that one was 
a bridge too far. Like I can walk into my my local liquor store and grab a twelve dollar Bourbon County Stout twenty seventeen if I want. Yeah. So yeah, I'd dick around with yeah. that. But a VSOD yeah. for do me, do like an older Rasputin or something first. Don't. <laughs> And, and th- th- let me be the first to say Old Rasputin to me is a phenomenal yeah. beer and is yeah. we are so lucky on earth to get that for $1.99 a bottle at any time we want. Killer. Not enough people drink it. But I'm like, go with something like that, man. Something you have high supply of. But VSOD should not own, be dicked around with. Yeah, they did that, that, is the a beer meant, that, that is a beer meant to be taken as it is. But so is there anything else coming up besides Bellwitch or anything? Yeah, uh, yeah. Got any more can yeah, releases? I got my computer from me. I'll just pull up my calendar because I can't remember shit. Let me just refer to my calendar. That's fine. Call when you're an assistant. hour and 35 minutes into the podcast, you can do what you want. Oh, good Lord. End. I mean, you're good to go. All right. No, I mean, we've got, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely out and about for like Day of the Living Ales, um, the Uppers and Downers Festival. In Wait, the what's city that? Tell me about, more about that. Oh, Day of the Living Ales, that. March 3rd, Saturday, March 3rd. It's, uh, Saturday, March 3rd. The Chicago Beer Society puts it on in the okay. city. It's all cask ale from, a, I mean, tons Sweet. of breweries. It's a fantastic festival. It's a lot of fun. I don't know any cool stuff It's at the cool bottom lounge like in the city. I like the bottom uh, lounge. And on the 24th at, the at Thalia Hall, or Talia Hall, I always pronounce it. Yeah. Uppers and Downers is like Saturday the 24th. We're going to be there. Uh, I'm excited about that. We have a gin barrel fermented English golden ale that we've infused with like a Kenyan blonde roast, like a city roast is what they call it, like a really blonde roast. Okay, explain, uh, explain to, to me and the people listening that may not be as you know deep into the world. When you talk about... Uh, this is a gin barrel fermented versus like a gin barrel aged. So we yeah. had a so we had a gin barrel from Koval, which is my favorite gin in the world. So I was super nice. excited to get a barrel from them. It's got to feel good. Uh, yeah. So we used that to gin barrel age a couple of beers, uh, and the gin was so uh, bold. The, the gin character pulled out of the barrel was so bold that for five beers in a row, we got great gin character. Force was strong. Yeah, so the sixth uh, use, it still was pulling out. So the sixth use, we took uh, a English golden ale base, put it in as wort to the barrel, and then put the yeast in there so that it actually fermented not in steel, but fermented in the barrel. That's awesome. Um, and it got a little bit more wood character than it would normally have otherwise because you get that fermentation churning it up. Um, and then we dry hopped it with a little bit of mosaic and, uh, we, uh, we worked with modest coffee out of West Chicago. Uh, he had this really great, um, Kenyan roast or Kenyan coffee that he blonde roasted. So it had a lot of fruitiness, a little, uh, blonde roasts tend to be brighter and more acidic. So that's going to play really well with like the, the bright gold nail that's got some gin character and it's really fruity and floral. So works really well with the, the gin characteristics. Do you stick with one roaster or do you like whoever, no, we, I mean, whoever we, will have you? Modest, uh, so Marcus is the guy who runs Modest Coffee and we've just got a great relationship with him. So Ancy Pearl, our big coffee porter release in the fall every year, we use him specifically. Okay. We do some little projects with him too for uppers and downers. He's like our number one coffee guy to work with. So we wanted him to be our vendor we worked with for uppers and downers. Uh, but uh, yeah, we also have worked with... Uh, Excuse me. Uh, ten drops out of Plainfield. Love ten drops. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great close guys. To home for yeah, me. Yeah, they're wonderful. So. Um, and Hexa Coffee uh, out of the city, who are newer. Uh, we just started doing a few things with them, but they have a a, a barrel aged coffee uh, that we make a an imperial stout with uh, pure liquid cacao and uh, dang 
and uh, their barrel-aged coffee. I'll line up for that one. Well, that one's called Hexecution. Everybody will, oh, I like it. Yeah, we, we release it about it. only once every two months, but when we do, it's a, always, like, gone the day we drop it in. You so. hear, like, I hear a lot of 10 drops, a lot of, you know, obviously the big ones uh, with Dark Matter, and then mm-hmm. you hear uh, Tugboat and River Yeah, I got, I got nothing against, like, Intelligentsia or Dark Matter, but I'm of the opinion that, yeah. like, uh, those guys, you have plenty of press working with other breweries, and... I, I local, never get I never get when a brewery that's been biting and scratching to like make a name for themselves and stuff always just goes with like the easy decision maker. Try to build something. Like, hey, else. let's build off this guy. But I'm like, no, work with a smaller guy. And there's no again, like Dark Matter makes phenomenal coffee. Hell yeah. So. But Ten Drops does a great job too. I mean, but yeah, I mean the guys at Ten Drops, they're they're, they're local to us. They make I phenomenal go there and get coffee. Just cold brew. Yeah, I, just, I like cold brew. Yeah, so. I'll be picking up some supplies at Chicago Brew Works or saying hi to the guys at Workforce. My guys over there, and, uh, Brando. Brando was Ten on drops. the podcast. He's good man. Oh, he's he's a phenomenal. He person. was everybody's favorite episode. Great human being. Everybody everybody downloaded <laughs> the crap out of that episode because he just tells a good story. Excellent. Yeah, man. The, we got an hour and forty minutes in the books. I mean, is there anything else you want to cover before we? Is this the uh, the record for? No, no, no. We got two hour, two and a half hours. You're oh, not nice. even close. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, when you talk to Gary no, at Alarmist, it'll be like four. That's so fine. you'll have to do some I cutting do, down. I can deal with that. Now I'll just uh, put it all up there. No, I mean, you know, it, it, we, I would say that on the weekends, most Fridays we got some food, and Saturdays we try to be tapping something special. Um, Fridays you do? Yeah, Fridays okay. we have food trucks usually. Yeah, right so. on my way home on Fridays, I'm going to be yeah. stopping in. And, and we always out. try to do one-off projects once every Friday. So, oh, that um, sounds awesome. I want to say this week is. Yeah, you got anything so I can? I know we've got a guava way. IPA that's ready you to know go what? soon. I love a good guava IPA. I don't. I think um, it's because the Hailstorm did it so well when they did like their anniversary party. Oh, I've never they, had that. They had Prairie Madness and they did Dominatrix and Guava, and I just loved both of them. It, so. I was surprised it worked so well. Um, some fruits work really well. Some fruits really bring out the bitterness in the hops. I've had canned um, ones that I didn't care for. Guava, yeah. guava stuff. But uh, Anjanu returns back to the tap room this Friday too. But that's that's hey. more for the regulars. They were very sad. We've only run out of Anjanu twice since we made it a regular beer and both times it generally makes customers. some regulars very sad yeah you have some people that it's funny to have people that are regulars for the the belgian farmhouse that's awesome man yeah. it's i love feel it. good it's as great. a brewer right yeah I and mean, it's kind of feel like oh yeah validating like yeah, yeah to have people that come in and aren't like what's your ipa what's like, your hoppiest i need IPA to taste those esters I need, yeah. I need some of those esters yeah Nah, man, you guys make great beer. I, Thank I loved, you. I loved what I tried. And before I leave, can I please try your Imperial before, you know? Yeah, we'll get you I'm on the prologue before I'm you leave. I'm a total IPA guy. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty basic when it comes to my, my beer love, but but I love being able to try all this stuff. And more than anything, I really appreciate you just sitting down with me. Yeah. I, we, me and Josh were talking about it before we started, but Josh was the first person to respond to me <laughs> when I started to contact breweries to get this podcast going. And we totally connected right away, and then we kind of just trying to find time. The I busy like people that I pride myself on having great communication, even when I can't get my ass in one place at the yeah. right time. He totally, you know, he totally kept up. I followed up with him. He followed up with me and we got this shit together and uh, I'm really glad that we did. And you know what? It's much harder to carry a solo podcast when you don't have somebody else <laughs> bouncing with some, you know, bouncing off. So you're like one of the few that can sit down by himself and actually carry a full hour and a half with me and not just make it stale and boring. So I really appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. I'm glad to have, at least uh, like entertained banks, you for the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Banks, yeah. I I'm really good at talking, I guess. Yeah, uh, dude, nailed it. All right, cool, man. Well, it was a pleasure. All right. I'm leaving Miskatonic here over at, where, where, where were we? we this is Darien, right? Darien. Darien. Yep. Right off uh, I-55 and Cass Avenue. Frontage, like a frontage, frontage road, road right, right off yeah. Cass Avenue, yeah. 
they're already tuned out by an hour and 40 minutes, but in case they're still listening, right? Right, right yeah. Stone's throw from Gas the Stevenson. Gas 55, so. and you can get Southern Com- Chuck Southern Comfort before you get they here They deliver to after. the tap room. No shit. Yes, they do. You told me that when I sat down. I could have right? been having some brisket right now. Oh, yeah, rib tips, <laughs> man. Oh, my God, he makes the greatest food. All right, so Josh and I are out of here. It's been another episode of Average Joe's Above Average Beer Podcast, and I will see you guys later.